Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and PK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Ribs and PK. I think it's a wider market than a lot of people think because we first thought, well, he's going to go back to St. Louis. But I think you look at the Yankees situation, well, who knows about Gary Sanchez? He gets non-tendered, traded, whatever. Uh, the Angels, to me, are a really good fit. There's a lot of teams you can help because I think the game so much is dependent on processing information as pitchers. If you can remove kind of a, a big part of that thought process yeah. by having a guy behind the plate who's basically a computer back there, that really helps your entire pitching staff. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, guess who it is? I'm back, boys. Oh, baby. It's been a minute. We'll get into why coming up in a little while. That was Tom Verducci, though. He of Sports Illustrated and MLB Network talking about Yadier Molina's market. And what we are going to see for all of the teams that are now getting involved. The Mets have thrown their name into the ring. The Yankees are involved. We've heard about the Angels potentially getting into the mix. I'm sure if we haven't heard it yet, the White Sox at some point will throw their name into the mix. Yadier Molina's market has developed and there are more suitors than people originally thought. Guys, I have come to a realization on my time off. If he stays in St. Louis, if Yadier Molina returns for 2021, it is exclusively going to be about one of two things for him. It will either be about the money because the Cardinals offered the most money, which seems unlikely to me, or option number two, it will be a purely emotional decision. We talked a lot going into this offseason and probably starting in what, maybe August, September or so about how if Yadier Molina returns, it would be an emotional decision by the Cardinals. I think we can flip that on its head now. I think if he returns, it will be an emotional decision on his end because the other teams that are now kind of joining into the fray as we get further along here, they are better contenders. They are better teams. They potentially help his legacy in terms of the winning at the end of his career, maybe even more so than it would here in St. Louis. Yeah, I agree. Look, I still think that as much as it's going to be an emotional decision for Yachty, I do. I still maintain it's going to come down to where he can win. As much as he wants to be back in St. Louis, as much as it would be emotional for him and his legacy here, if they're going to lose for the next two years, I just don't think Yachty's going to be interested in that. And I think that Yachty would be willing to 
be part of building it for maybe not the season that's coming up, but the season after, if it looks like the team has a chance to go for it and close out his career maybe with at least a championship run. But uh, he's going to have to look at this upcoming season as a season to build and sacrifice a little bit because it's not going to be anything more than maybe average, slightly above average for the Cardinals. And that, to me, is where Yadier Molina is going to pump the brakes and start looking at the Yankees and the Mets and some of these other teams that have the the possibility of winning right now, not tomorrow or next year. See, the more the time goes on, the more I feel like Yadi's already made his decision. He wants to be here. He's waiting on the Cardinals to make their decision. And we talked about this a little yesterday. This kind of seems like the Cardinals are trying to find the easy way out of moving on from Yadi because we've heard Yadi now say multiple times, he and his family want to be here. The Cardinals want him back. It's a mutual agreement. They just got to come to a deal. But we haven't seen that deal yet. And yes, the Yankees and the Mets and the Padres are all appealing, but the Cardinals are the number one choice for Yachty. At least it feels like for me, but the Cardinals aren't wanting to make that decision yet because they want to see what the market's going to offer, right? Like, doesn't it feel like that's why the Cardinals well, are nobody saying... Nobody has made an offer yet, right? Well, that's, the, it, like, nobody. Exactly, and it feels like the Cardinals are telling Yachty, go see what's out there, but come back to us because they want to know what he's getting so that they know that they're not going to overpay for him. <laughs> I think that's, by the way... I think that's what this McCann offer stuff that we've heard, not the offer, the the interest that we've heard about the Cardinals being quote unquote in on the catcher's market. I think that's what they're doing. I think the Cardinals, just like they are with Yachty saying, hey, go find out what you can get on the open market are going to these other catchers as well to see what their markets look like, too. So they can price gauge, right? Hey, if McCann's going to get X, Yachty probably gets Y. And so they're able to check in on these other guys to see kind of where Yachty fits into this market. I don't believe maybe I'll be wrong on this. I'm wrong on plenty of stuff. Stay hot. I don't believe (laughs) that the Cardinals are actually going to be in on the McCann market. Oh, you don't think they're talking to JT Real Muto either? No. (laughs) I think the Cardinals will either bring back Yachty or Molina. Or go young and cheap with Andrew Kisner as their main catcher next year. And then bring in somebody like Weeders. I don't know who it'll be, but a a name like that where they're mid-upper 30s that can play 60-ish games for them next year behind the plate. I think that's kind of the route that they'll probably go if Yachty is not back. And that's fine with me. I got no issues with that. But to your point, Ferrario, on you think that it's the Cardinals that haven't made up their mind? Kind of disagree. I think it's Yachty. I think Yachty wants to be able to see what's out there. I think he's enjoying this. The Instagram posts, the fact that he's going on this. He likes a drama. Instagram live thing and saying, hey, I've got five teams out there that are interested in me. He likes this. He's being recruited for the first time in his career, and I think he enjoys it a little bit. Hey, as the saying goes, save the drama for your mama. (laughs) 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. We got a good one here from the 636. It says, uh, gentlemen, I think it depends on how much Molina wants to play with Wainwright. I don't see other teams wanting to take both of them together. So here's where I am on this right now. Mm -hmm. I disagree. I think it's gotten to the point where Wayno and Yachty have both decided that whatever they can get, they're going to get. If it just so happens to be together, great. Otherwise, right now, to each their own, they're going to get theirs. Because for any one team that's not named the Cardinals to take on both Adam Wainwright and Yachty or Molina, 
that's a big ask. At this point, there is uncertainty. No matter how much we love both of these guys, there is uncertainty behind it. The only people who would be even more sure about it would be the St. Louis Cardinals. And so if the Cardinals take a flyer on both of these guys, then I think it works. But I no longer feel like Molina and Wainwright are attached at the hip through these negotiations during free agency. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. I don't think these two are on the same wavelength. I think both are looking for different options right now. And, you know, going back to what you said, BK, the only thing that gets me with Yachty is what happened on Thursday with Thanksgiving. And it was the interview that he did on Instagram where he basically said he's not worried about finances. He's worried about winning. That's the that's the wavelength that I'm parted on, because it's like, how are you going to come back to the Cardinals if you want to win? Because that's obviously not what's going to happen. But him saying that he's not too concerned about money and there's mutual interest on returning Eh. to the Cardinals. Yeah, I always worry about. <laughs> I always worry about a little I money. Get it. But I, for some reason, I'm still stuck on the point that this is this is in the Cardinals' boat right now, and I feel like the Cardinals are saying we're going to take our damn time with this before we make and any I'm offer. Fine with that. I, I honestly don't have an issue with it because the early market that we've seen it's changed my opinion on Wayno. Well, is there a market right now? Yeah, fifteen million dollars. Yeah, for Charlie starting, Morton. <laughs> starting pitching, there is it's eleven the million. Only market that has started to develop at all, Mike. Miner was just signed the other day by the Royals. He got a two-year deal. I thought he was probably going to get a one-year deal, so that was a little surprising to me. There's also been the Charlie Morton signing that you guys brought up, $15 million, which is crazy. Charlie Morton's a good pitcher, $15 million. This market's insane. Because you've been gone for a few days, and Charlie Morton thing happened while you were gone. Please tell me how Charlie Morton (laughs) is worth $15 million. He probably is. He's he's Mr. October. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's Mr. O. And then Adam Wainwright goes, well, yeah, if someone offered me Charlie Morton's deal, well, no (laughs) kidding. No blank. (laughs) Um, Charlie Morton's probably worth that. In a different Major League Baseball offseason. In this offseason? Yeah, I was going to say 10 years ago, maybe. (laughs) When I was told that teams have no money. The the Drew Smiley one-year $11 million deal mixed with the Robbie Ray one-year $8 million deal combined with the Charlie Morton one-year $15 million is like, wait. We're throwing $35 million out here at mid-tier pitchers. I was told we were poor. (laughs) I was told there were biblical losses. (laughs) Not just that we lost money, that it was biblical. So I I think that the Adam Wainwright market's going to be a little higher than I originally expected. I think probably, I bet you Wayno gets around $10 million for a one-year deal. Because he's he's better than Robbie Ray. Because last year his deal was, what, seven Mm -hmm. with incentives? Yeah. I think he gets about $10 million. He's not getting down from the Cardinals, I don't think. I think it changes the landscape. I think that's why we're starting to see the types of quotes that we saw from him on Friday and that story about how he's not sure if he's going to be back with the Cardinals. I bet you they told him, hey, if that's what you're aiming for, we don't have that here. We can give you five, seven million dollars. Ten is pushing it and we're not willing to go there. I think the guy that they're prioritizing and have prioritized all along is going to be Yadier Molina. And I think that is going to be about is he going to get emotional sign back with the Cardinals or does he want to get more money and the potential of winning elsewhere? And then he ends up with the Yankees or the Mets or the White Sox or the Padres. What's going to be interesting in the last bit of this is once finally one of them gets signed to whatever number it is. And if they, if the Cardinals walk on one player and not the other, or if they're leaning towards Yachty and not Wayne or vice versa, that's when it's going to get personal. 
because at the end of the day, if they're saying, oh, we can't afford an extra $2 million for you to get you to your $10 million, but we offered Yachty two-year deal, <laughs> like it's going to get a little bit silly, and that's where it starts to get personal, and I, I just hope it doesn't get ugly because those two players should be you know, St. Louis legends forever. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It feels so damn good to be back. It's 1113. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk this over with Mark Saxon. He's going to join us coming up at 1130. Very excited to be joined by Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Let's talk a little college football coming up at 12 o'clock. But coming up next, Ferrario tried to tell me this was going to happen, and I just didn't listen to him. What the hell's going on with Carson Wentz? We'll talk about it coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. If you're not going to protect Carson Wentz, the quarterback, at least protect Carson Wentz, the asset right he's worth 59 million dollars against the cap next year in a year when the cap is going to shrink you know he's going to be your quarterback next year you know he's going to be on the roster you got to protect him as an asset now you've got to protect your future and that to me means you got to put Jalen Hurts on the football field oh boy oh boy Alex Ferrario tried to tell me that this was going to happen happened to Carson Wentz guys because he threw for 215 yards last night and I know this is nothing new but he did it against the worst pass defense in the NFL he did it on 45 pass attempts do you know how bad that is 215 passing yards on 45 attempts there were at least six drop balls where they like hit guys in the chest all right stop defending Carson Wentz I'm, listen I'm not defending I can't Carson you're being serious or kidding. I'm being dead serious I watched that game last night in its entirety not without distraction which was amazing at the Rivers house I couldn't actually believe it was going on and I was watching this offensive line that I felt like they were a man short on every down. Like they they didn't have enough guys on the field for one thing for Carson Wentz. And secondly, his receivers are terrible. They're hot garbage. They come guy runs a route, hits him right in the numbers and there's no chance of a reception. They don't identify the routes. They don't flare out into the opening. I'm telling you right now, Carson Wentz has sucked. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But it's not been 100% on him. No, no, that's for sure. The problem is, like, if he was being average right now and there was clearly some room for uh, for reason to believe that it was going to get better. Okay, I can listen to what you're saying right now. He's been, like, arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> see what you're saying. There's, he's been horrible. He's, I don't care yeah, if the receivers suck. You're what I'm saying. Yes, he, he ha- his numbers have been horrible. He has not been good. But if you put Carson Wentz, and let's just take a team like the Ravens, okay? If you put Carson Wentz under center, never mind that. Let's go with the Colts. Yeah. Because I could actually see that marriage happening with Frank Reich, who was a quarterback coach for Philly, right? Mm -hmm. Look at this guy doing his research. If you put him under center in Indianapolis, I think you see a different player. I think you see a guy that's very capable. I think you see a guy that comes close to what he was in 2017. No. The problem is you can't. Like, he's stuck. Mm-hmm. This is a forced marriage that has no way to get any better in the 
in, in the here and now. He's $60 million next year. You heard that coming back from break. That was Sal Pal Antonio earlier today on Get Up on ESPN. He's $60 million against the cap next year if they cut him or trade him. He's $30 million if they keep him. They would have to pay $30 million extra <laughs> I want for him agent. to have the right <laughs> to play elsewhere next year. He's going to be a Philadelphia Eagle next year. How or high water? Like, listen, Phillip Rivers, he, he's doing okay this year. Okay. But the end of the road is there. Like, he looks tired out there right now. And if you're the Colts, do you take a chance? If you're Frank Reich and you know how well you worked with this guy before, do you say, hey, maybe we make a trade? Maybe we take on this contract. Maybe there's, there's no-, no way to. The, 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 like, it, it's it's contractually obligated that the Eagles would have to pay that $60 million against their cap, which is a third of the salary Even cap if they trade year. him. If they trade him, that's how it works. Oh. Yeah. There's, there's stuff. Nice deal, Philly. <laughs> His agent sitting at home going, yeah, baby. How about the owner? Should kick himself in the balls. So <laughs> the problem is, like, when this deal was signed, it was a really good one. Everybody looked around the league and they were like, ah, that was really smart because at the time, Carson Wentz was good. And now MVP. he's terrible. He's broke. I mean, he's a broken toy that was great in 2017. He was, I think they put his like four to one touchdown to interception ratio in 2017 before he was injured. Something happened between 2017 and his return the next yeah, season. Yeah, they didn't build anything around him. <laughs> no, that's got nothing to do with what's around anything him. Anything that was good is gone. No. First of all. He's got Alshon Jeffrey still, who's oh, not wow. the same player, but he, he was great for him in 2017. That means he's going to make him an MVP because he's got him i mean it, what about the offensive line they're the same offensive line he's got nah, three this, blind year. Mice. This, this year it's a disaster on the o-line and both of his tackles are out now lane johnson is done for the year jason peters is like 57 years old they're playing first right round pick from a couple of years ago is out once again they, they've the been only guy ravaged keeping by is kelsey it, the yeah. center they, they, their offensive line is an absolute disaster. I like him, actually. Even last year, and this <laughs> is Kelsey. this is why when we no. talked about Wentz, I, I kind of got on Ferrario. Like last year, he wasn't good, but he wasn't terrible. He had four thousand yards passing, twenty-seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's not a bad season. This year, he has sixteen touchdowns and fifteen picks already. He's already fumbled the ball three times as well. He has basically eighteen turnover-worthy Bruce players. Arians coaching him in eleven games. This is totally different. And so to your point, Jamie, if there is a reason to believe, and I'm not sure that there is, but if there's a reason to believe that this can get turned around, it's that. It's that there's no way. I don't know that I have ever seen ever before in my history watching the NFL, a player go from the peak of where Carson Wentz was to where he is today as quickly as it's happened with Carson Wentz. I mean, it, it went from MVP candidate legitimate mm-hmm. real MVP candidate on a Super Bowl caliber team to honest to God, one of the three worst starting quarterbacks in the league. But don't you think that's funny right there? Don't you think that's odd that when you had players around him that could make plays, he was able to be one of the best in the league. And then th- things slowly got worse around him and look at where they are now. It's strange, man. And I, I'm i not ready to put him in a body bag just so yet. So then what's the excuses for him basically throwing balls to defenders? Like, he is throwing Guys are running the wrong route. Pick. Guys are doing curl routes, so they should be going the other way. That is blaming his teammates. He's been a guy that's, you know, you watch the interviews after. Watch the press conferences. He's taking the blame. It's on me. We have to communicate better. He knows full well guys are running the wrong routes. One of the guys yeah, last night was supposed to run a little flat out, and he didn't. He st- stood in the backfield with him trying to block and left him with absolutely nothing available. They, I think the first step is I, 
I like Doug Peterson. He did a fantastic job in their Super Bowl run. He's got to go. He's got to go. You've got to replace the coach. And that's the first because, again, they're stuck with Carson Wentz. There's nothing else you can do right now. He's going to be the quarterback next year and probably for the next two seasons, realistically speaking. So you got to remove the coach from the situation and see if that helps. Get the offensive line healthy next year. Try a different coach, different system. See if that opens things up. If it does, okay, now you know you're back to old Carson Wentz. You can build around him again and hopefully, like you said, add a couple of weapons out there. Let's see what it looks like in 2021. If that doesn't work, that's when you know you've got a problem. And at least now we're kind of we're diagnosing things, right? If you if you open up your laptop and things aren't working cr- properly, the first thing you got to do is restart the damn computer, right? Or clear the history. <laughs> One of the two. That the first thing that they have to do with Carson Wentz is see if the coach is the problem. I'm not sure that he is, but you've, you've got to at least give that a shot first. I did want to mention one other thing about that game last night because we haven't talked a whole lot about the Seahawks side of things. DK, DK Metcalf is an absolute monster. Oh, my God. Is a monster. That man is an ogre. I don't know how you defend him. To me, him and Tyreek Hill are the two most, I'm not saying best, are the two most indefensible playmakers in the NFL any position offensively and last night Jim Schwartz the defensive coordinator for the Eagles apparently went up to DK Metcalf before the game and I will let DK Metcalf explain what he said to DK prior to the game one of the defensive coaches came up to me and it kind of made me mad that he was like um you know I was I was in Detroit with uh, Megatron but you're not there yet um you know in my mind I'm not trying to be Megatron I'm trying to be me so um, you know, had had a little uh, chip on my shoulder the whole game. Was that Jim Schwartz? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, Jim Schwartz, what are you thinking? By the way, did he not see Last Dance with Michael Jordan? I'm not saying DK Metcalf is Michael Jordan by any means. Did you see what he tweeted out last night? No. He literally tweeted out the meme of I took that personal. Did he really? <laughs> because oh basically Schwartz, apparently from the reporter, Schwartz of Philly, said in a positive light you're going to be megatron you're just not there yet yeah but you don't say that to a player especially dk metcalf if you watch this guy he takes everything personal yeah, especially if he's going to spin it in the michael jordan direction by him saying well he told me that i'm not megatron yeah and he says well guess what i am tonight buddy have a good look you got a front row seat at it but yeah if you're a coach man Rule of thumb, don't talk to the other players until after the game. After the game, tell them, hey, you know what? You remind me of Megatron, and I think you're going to be just like him as you keep going forward here. What an absurd thing for a defensive coordinator to say to another player. Idiotic. Like, hey, I just want to let you know you're not Calvin Johnson. (laughs) How did you think that was going to go over? Meanwhile, what did DK Metcalf go for in the game? He went off, right? He, He was absolutely remarkable um i'm telling you man i i've made the comparison to terrell owens he i i don't know how you like you go into a lab i don't think you could create a receiver (laughs) that, that is like more absurdly fit for today's game and specifically with that offense than dk metcalf well first of all he can run we've seen that the man can flat out run but he's built like a tight end. 
or a middle linebacker for that matter. Jamie texted me at Ferrari last night and was like, hey, is DK Metcalf a receiver or a tight end? And it's a fair question because the answer is yes. I mean, I knew the answer, but he kept lining up on the inside. And then when he blocks guys, like he's got an edge to him. He, he wants to bury them. He almost got into like three fights with Darius Slay because he was just blocking him. And that's a couple of games in a row now where teams have been taking shots at DK Metcalf because... He's overly physical with the little cornerback or defensive backs. He's throwing them around out there. It's amazing. Uh, by the way, 636 from the 65780, that's their comfort service sex line. BK, would you rather have Tyreek Hill or DK Metcalf? Uh-oh. Man, it would be really hard for me at this point to not take DK's upside. He he really might go. I, I know this sounds ridiculous because it's so early in his career, but if things continue on this trajectory, that's a big if statement. I want to put that out there as a disclaimer. He could go down as one of the best to ever do it. He, he really could. He's he's that talented and he's in the perfect situation as well. Being well, paired with Russell Wilson. That'll I think they go hand in hand. Yep. Right. As they as their careers progress, DK Metcalf obviously being younger. But if Russell Wilson can continue to be a dominant quarterback, DK Metcalf, no doubt, will be in the conversation as one of the greatest receivers. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So what's going on? What's the holdup here with Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright? Or is there any risk realistically of those guys not being back in St. Louis? We're going to talk about the latest with Mark Saxon, our Cardinals insider, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our guy, Mark Saxon, Cardinals insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN, joining us here on the show. Saxy, it is fantastic to be able to have you on once again. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. How are you doing today, man? I am doing uh, fantastic. I had a great Thanksgiving. You know, didn't really see anyone other than the immediate family, but uh, a lot of us are doing that kind of stuff now. How are you guys doing? We are doing great, man. We'd be doing better if there was some activity from the Cardinal side of things. But uh, let's get your perspective on this. What is the latest? What can you tell us about Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright? We know that's kind of uh, domino number one that has to fall in this offseason. What are you hearing on those? Is there any reason to believe? that anything's going to get done soon yeah i think we will actually have a good pretty good idea in the next two to three weeks for a few reasons um the cardinals typically are pretty um adamant about shutting down for the holidays and if you look at when they make a lot of their big moves it it tends to be right in that early to mid december period now now part of that was you had the winter meetings kind of spurring things which we don't have but there will be some zoom calls around that time maybe the the DH situation will be worked out. But the other thing is, I think free agency as a rule will get jump-started a little bit tomorrow night when teams see who the non-tenders are, right? If For those listening who don't know all these arcane kind of deadlines, tomorrow night teams have to decide whether to tender contracts to arbitration-eligible players. These are good young players a lot of times who potentially could become free agents, and there could be a big list of them tomorrow night. So... Once that happens, um, maybe if Real Muto signs and Yachty's the next guy, that could be another thing. So I do think in the next two to three weeks we'll have a good idea on both of these guys. Big sexy. How we doing, buddy? <laughs> We're doing good, Jamie. All right. How you doing? I'm good, man. And, look, I've come to a bit of a conclusion, though, and, and I'm going to ask you for your opinion on this. I've come to a conclusion that I don't think that Adam Wainwright – 
and Yadier Molina are a package deal anymore. Listening to what Adam Wainwright said to Jesse Rogers, talking about, you know, if St. Louis moves on from him and whatnot, he understands he loves St. Louis, loves the Cardinals. And then Yadi now is talking about four or five other teams. I just feel like these guys are no longer a package deal moving forward, unless, of course, it's the Cardinals. Am I crazy? I never thought they were a package deal. I don't know exactly. You know, I know that Adam raised that in a interview. I think he was mostly kidding. And, and I do think they talked about it, but I think they were kind of like, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I, I don't think either one ever thought that they were both going to sign, let's say, with the Yankees. I mean, maybe they kind of fantasized or had fun with it, but it's just too hard to pull off, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen really ever. Um, and you know, the thing is that there's going to be very different markets for these guys, right? I mean, teams that are looking for a defensive catcher, um, with a tremendous reputation and are willing to spend X dollars are going to be interested in Yachty and teams that need that fifth starter, fourth starter kind of guy want to do a one-year deal. are going to be looking at Wainwright. So it's just, it's just too hard to line those two things up. And if you look at it, even the rumored teams pursuing those guys are different teams. So I, I don't think they're both going to sign in the same place. And, and I, I haven't thought all along that they would both sign with the Cardinals, by the way, simply because of the parameters that John Mosellock set out in terms of bringing the payroll down. It just doesn't kind of fit with what they're trying to do. So I would expect one of them to be back, and if I had to guess, I would say it's probably Yachty. Well, they shouldn't joke around like that, okay, because it messes with my emotions. Okay, Big Sexy? <laughs> All right. Well, maybe they won't now. They'll they'll get they'll get wind of this. You're, you're upset about it. I think that's okay. Mark Saxon joining us here on 101 ESPN. Saxy, I wanted to ask you about how. I mean, we've been. He, we, we heard so much early on about how this free agent market was going to be depressed, right? And how the, the market values for these players would be lower than expected. And then I see kind of the first signs of life on the free agent market. And you've got Charlie Morton getting $15 million, Drew Smiley getting $11 million, Robbie Ray getting $8 million, Mike Miner getting a two-year deal instead of a one-year deal. Are we going to actually end up seeing Adam Wainwright have a pretty decent market out there, given what we've already seen early on for the one-year pitching market? You would think so because of what you said. I mean, teams are scrambling to get one-year deals done, right? And and a lot of times, even though it looks like they're overpaying for these guys, teams are willing to do that if it's just a one-year commitment because what they fear more than anything is kind of getting locked up. A little bit, you know, really what the Cardinals are this year with, with the Carpenter, Fowler, um, Andrew Miller contracts on the books. They just don't have a lot of room to operate because of these large contracts, and and that's what teams are trying to avoid. Now, Adam is that guy, and in fact, I would think that he'll probably sign an incentive-laden deal again. You know, because at his age and he has had a lot of injury history, even if it was a few years ago, I, I think he's a candidate to sign one of those contracts. So yeah, teams teams are going to want that now. Some of the peripheral numbers with Wainwright in terms of um, batted ball luck, in terms of some of the, the home run numbers, you know, teams might doubt that he can replicate that. But I do think that there's going to be a vibrant enough market because he, he is different. He stands out with that curveball usage, and and it, it does counter kind of what a lot of hitters are trying to do, which is to hit home runs. It's hard to hit 
that particular pitch. So I do think there's going to be a vibrant market for Adam Wayne right now. Will it drag on for a while as some of the top-tier guys move? Sometimes that happens. Um, but I wouldn't think he would want that. So I, I do think that he'll want to get some resolution in the next few weeks, and they'll ask teams to make their best offers. Saxy, coming out over the weekend with some rumors that the Cardinals have been possibly kicking the tires on McCann to come in as a catcher. Uh, if Yachty, I guess, doesn't work out or if they go in a different direction, how much how much can we read into that? Or are the Cardinals just literally doing their due diligence and kind of see kind of what's out there? I definitely think they're doing their due diligence. And one of the reasons to check in on other catchers is to kind of start getting some parameters for what Yachty's market could look like, right? I mean, James McCann is an interesting comp and in that he's kind of the opposite of Yachty. Yachty's had this great career over a long period of time. James McCann, you know, really is a product of a really strong season last year. Um, and he's kind of a, a lot of teams view him as a little bit of a value play, but um, yeah, I, I think they will check in on virtually every free agent out there. And sometimes you'll see agents for these guys kind of spin a check-in call as interest with reporters. So the, the main thing I would have people understand at this time of year, it's all negotiating. Anything you're reading in the press, for the most part, until you start hearing words like close to signing a deal or soliciting offers or um, you know, in agreement, it's really all negotiating at this point. We're talking with Mark Saxon here on 101 ESPN. Speaking of negotiations, I wanted to ask you about a report that I saw earlier today from Ken Rosenthal because he said that the Red Sox are uniquely positioned to buy prospects by taking on a big salary. And he specifically mentioned Cardinals pitcher Carlos Martinez as one of those players that maybe they would be interested in. Saxy, do you think there is any, any interest whatsoever out there among other teams, whether it be the Red Sox or otherwise, on potentially taking on Carlos Martinez's $12 million salary for next season? No, not in, not in, the, in its totality. I wouldn't think so. I just think there's too many um, injury question marks with Carlos. You know, the fact he was so adamant about being healthy enough to start and just had a pretty bad, you know, few starts. Let's be honest about that. He wasn't good. His velocity was down. So now those red flags turn into sort of flashing red sirens, right? Is he healthy? You know, the shoulder hasn't held up. So, no, I don't think anybody would take him on at that number. But if it were part of a larger deal, and let's say the Red Sox were so desperate to rebuild their system, they were willing to throw in, you know, a a major league piece as well and, and acquire a prospect and a Carlos Martinez, which could give the Cardinals some payroll relief. Those types of deals are worth keeping an eye on because for a team like the Cardinals, who does have payroll constraints, it's a way for them to improve next year's team without taking a big chunk of payroll on. And so any of those kinds of deals are worth keeping an eye on, even though a straight sort of Carlos Martinez and a prospect just for salary relief. I don't see those two teams lining up you know, on that particular deal. Last question for you, Saxy. Tomorrow is that deadline that you were talking about, the non-tender deadline. I think it's like 7 o'clock tomorrow night when they officially have to announce things and we'll kind of know what the official market looks like. Are there any players other than Brebbia that we should be watching for as potential non-tender candidates for the Cardinals? I, I, You know, I looked at the entire list. I'd be absolutely shocked if any of those players was non-tendered. Harrison Bader you know, is probably the starting center fielder next year. Alex Reyes, 
has just too much upside to consider that. Maybe if this were a year ago, they might have. You know, obviously, Jack Flaherty isn't. So, no, I think Brebby is the one guy. And even John Brebbia was so good when he was healthy. You know, even if he makes eight hundred grand next year and he's not going to pitch, is it worth keeping in the, him in the organization? I don't even think that one's a slam dunk. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a possibility, but I don't think it's written in stone that John Brebbia will be non-tendered either. Well, Mark, we always appreciate the time, man. You can find his work over on The Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Mark A. Saxon. Saxy, all the best to you and the family. We look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, boys, be well. Talk to you later. Absolutely. That's Mark Saxon here on 101 ESPN. Thought what he had to say about the non-tenders was interesting and how maybe that could spur a little bit of action on the free agent market. I just, I tend to think that as of right now, we still don't even know on the DH yeah. and whether or not that's going to be implemented in the National League, which is insane. It is December 1st. The market has been open for a month, and we still don't know if the National League is going to have a DH or how many games we're going to play. We, we know nothing about next baseball There's basically season. been no movement. None. Basically. Like, we, we keep talking about, what, three signings to yeah. pitchers. <laughs> I think there's been four pitchers that have signed. Yeah, like, And yesterday there was, like, two low level i mean low level types of trades that were to filter through 40 man rosters there's there's basically been nothing does major league baseball not understand that we have to talk about things they need to hurry up and make some signings here quickly i don't think we're gonna get a whole lot going anytime in the near future but at least tomorrow we can stop with this nonsensical hey there's gonna be so many good players that hit the market no there's not the free agent non-tenders are mostly going to be bad players that the Cardinals already have. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll get to know what wow. the actual names are on those players coming up tomorrow. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers from the 314 hey guys what the heck is going on with the nhl i read yesterday that they're not allowed to lock out the season and yet we're still waiting to hear what the plan is what are we doing here oh this is weird okay because up until yesterday i didn't know that the actual language in the cba had that one the players are not allowed to strike and that the owners are not allowed to lock out that's pretty direct language, <laughs> honestly. And, and it kind of, I don't know, just puzzles me too because we go back to the fact that they never put in any language as an escape clause for this COVID thing. We talked about it before that they could have put in language that if they can't meet certain revenue dollars or uh, attendance percentage or whatever it is, it defaults to contract B, which would be more deferred money, higher escrow, whatever. They didn't bother to do that. And the, the lesson would have been learned by doing that from the March agreement with baseball. 100%. Learn from others, right? Well, they didn't do that, but then they did remember to say, oh, well, the players, you can't strike, and the owners, you can't lock out. So what are we doing here? At the end of the day, contractually, legally, both entities have to get back to playing hockey. So I don't know what the play is. If it's just the owners going, please, 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 just give us a, a mulligan on this one. If if the players do it, 
then quite honestly, they're going to want something in return. If they're that nice to come back to the table and say, okay, guess what? We'll defer more money. Maybe we'll add a percent to the escrow. We'll help you out here. But we're going to want like this. Boom. Something huge. I think the big thing is going to be staying away from escrow. They'll be willing to look at deferments, but escrow is a non-start. I was reading an article from Mark Spector today, and he talked about how if the NHL wants to continue growth rather than stunt the growth of this organization moving forward, they need to be looking at staying away from intimidation and willing to hedge in any category with this. Both sides understand that this is an anomaly. You know, the players want to get back. The owners want to get back. But if the owners are coming to the table and trying to intimidate the players with, oh, we're going to lock you guys out. You're not going to play. Which they can't. You've just screwed yourself (laughs) for the next six to ten years in growth of the NHL. And there's going to be a very rocky relationship. So they need to stay away from intimidation and steer clear of what they've done in the past, which is what I think Gary Bettman's going to be advising these guys because he did that route three times and it failed in the past. I think the NHL is just... I think they did learn a lesson from baseball, but it's not the one that they should have learned from baseball. I think the owners are dragging their feet now to be able to get a later start date, to play fewer games, Mm. to do what baseball did, where they said, hey, we're losing money on every game that we're going to play, blah, 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 whatever. As of right now, I don't think January 1st is even going to be possible. No, I I think Spectre said somewhere between January. I know it was LeBron. January 20th and February 1st is the is the date. I still think that's optimistic. I I would think that the end of January would be best case scenario. But February 1, like Bill Foley from the Vegas Golden Knights mentioned, I think that's the target date. And also another thing I talked to a player that's in the NHLPA. Uh, two days ago, and he mentioned with the deferral of money, said if the owners continue to push and push and push, we will defer money, but we're going to add points to that deferred money to where the owners would pay interest on the money that's owed because he's like, listen, we're doing them a favor. We're reopening the the negotiations, and I could take that money that I'm giving them and invest it on my own. He goes, right now, the players are losing money by deferring the payments, so they're going to, if the owners want this to happen, they might have to add points to that. And if you get to February, middle of February, you're looking at 48 games. There's it, no way you get anything oh. more than that in. And the reason why I bring that up is because you're going to have to have some sort of a quarantine slash acclimation period. Like given, given what is going on around the world right now. And listen, I, I tested positive 11 days ago now. Like it, it's getting everybody. It sucks. This thing is brutal and it does not mess around whenever it gets you. I'm still like in terms of like running and stuff. I can't even get back to my full capacity now. And I'm two weeks past this thing. So if and I'm obviously no NHL player, but if you're now reporting back, if they did it today, there are going to be guys that test positive that do not oh, know that sure. they have the virus. Yeah, absolutely. You got these guys coming over from Europe and Canada still. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. So that's already knocking some of those guys out until mid-December because that's the two-week period for them to be able to just get back into the group meetings with their team. And then the other guys are going to have to do some sort of a quote-unquote bubble-like situation, similar to what we had with training camp the first time around. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to actually start the training camp to get these guys to make sure they're in shape before you start the season. It just, 
there's no feasible way at this point, even if they started things today, and that's not going to happen, obviously. No. To be able to start January 1st. That's that's a pipe dream at this point. Hopefully February 1st is at least in play. Final thing quickly here for you guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. Guys, the issue with the Broncos, I wanted to ask you about this. Do you think the NHL needs something like the XFL? It could be a minor league to pull players from if an NFL player were to go down for an extended period of time so this goes back to when the xfl came on board it does anyways because i said as many times as i could that the nfl needs a minor league system 100 i know they have the practice squad now but can you imagine if you had guys that were getting real game reps and i understand it's the xfl but the premise behind it in, in my head is the nhl and the american hockey league when you need a guy, you call him up, and maybe it's a prospect. Maybe it's a veteran guy that you know can do the job. How much would the Denver Broncos have enjoyed to have an XFL team? Maybe they're running a five- or six-team league right now during the pandemic. Maybe they all play in one city. Who cares, right? But can you imagine if that player had been consistently tested down there in their minor league system, or even if it's not that, if it's just the league itself is a minor league system where everybody can pull from, you go down and you sign an XFL quarterback, maybe a Jordan Te'amu, who's been released. Maybe he's back in the XFL playing, and the Denver Broncos go, you know what? We're going to decide this guy because we don't have a quarterback for this weekend. He's been following the protocols. This is an easy move for us. Boom, you do it. I think it's long overdue that the NFL have some kind of true minor league system with jamie rivers and alex frario i'm brandon kiley i totally agree with everything you just said their current feeder system though is college football college football's got an interesting situation developing with ohio state the heck do you do if this team plays four games and is clearly one of the four best teams but they've only played four games and only one of them was against a quality opponent. Does that team deserve to make the college football playoff? Plus, where does Eli Drinkwitz rank right now in terms of the SEC coach of the year? We're going to ask Peter Burns about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Peter Burns. He's an ESPN and SEC Network studio anchor. He is the host of SEC This Morning on Sirius XM. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN. Peter, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well, boys. Just trying to figure out. Uh, I can't believe it's the it's the last first day of the month for the uh, year of 2020. So I'm happy about that. Like, Thank God, be, man. Like I, if we could just fast forward and get into like the DeLorean or something like that and get to like April, I think we'd be in good shape. As uh, you know, we're trying to finish this football season, and who the hell knows what happens with college basketball season? But uh, you know, truthfully, the SEC has handled it pretty well. I mean. You know, they're still on pace to have what conference champion and play every single one of their um, uh, scheduled games, even albeit in a little bit of a different order than they expected. So it's just been a chaotic year, to say the least. Yeah, I think some Mizzou fans will take a little bit of an exception to that when they didn't play for like three out of four weeks. But hey, they're going to get the games <laughs> in, and that's all that matters at this point. And I did want to ask you about the Tigers, Peter, because. Man, what a job Eli Drinkwitz has done this season. I mean, he comes in and it's mostly the same team in terms of the players that are on the roster as it was a year ago. 
but he's got him at four and three. They've got a real shot to win at least six games this season. I wanted to ask you about his candidacy for SEC coach of the year this year. Where do you think he ranks in terms of the jobs that we've seen from SEC coaches this season? I mean, I got to be honest with you. It's right up there. Where I think we're Sam Pittman, who got a lot of run uh, earlier this year for the job that he did at turning around what's going on in Fayetteville, who, you know, who Arkansas, who Missouri is playing this weekend. And, and, you know, the more I look at it, the more I, and I talk to people after they play Missouri, I hear from coaches and assistant coaches going, that's a damn strong coach football team. And what I mean by that is just the fundamentals. And even when they make adjustments, it seems that, that, that Drinkowitz and the Tigers, that sometimes they might be outmanned. They don't have the, the sheer athletes to do it. But scheme-wise, they're just extremely sound. And really, you know, and, and Drink told us this week on the show, it, it felt weird that they even had close to 60-some-odd players. I mean, think about that. You know, traditionally, SEC rosters around 85, 100 players. And he goes, man, it felt great just to having 65 guys. So for him in this pandemic year, uh, taking over a team in which he didn't recruit a bunch of these guys to win them over and have a legitimate shot of winning SEC Coach of the Year, unbelievable you should be through the moon if you're a missouri tiger fan right now peter if we're talking about missouri and the great job that eli drinkwitz has done i think we also have to discuss nick bolton and the season that he's having and the difference that he's been on that defense for mizzou is he in the conversation now as a as a guy that should be considered for defensive player of the year in the conference I mean, not only necessarily in the conference, but it's unfortunate that, you know, Missouri's not getting more top 20 run. And, and if if they had the season, you know, a normal year where they would have won a couple of non-conference games, get a little bit more love. Cause you could not look at just FCC uh, player of the year defensively. You could arguably say he should be in, in, in all American throughout the country. Um, and, and maybe one of the best players um, in college football right now. And, you know, Drinkowitz told us this week, we, we had one of our social media guys accidentally misspell his name. And he, and he had some fun with this going, heck, you know, maybe one of these days you might win enough games you spell my name right. And you could tell he was kind of ticked off by it, which I loved. And he goes, well, I, honestly, I'd just rather them misspell Dick Bolton's name so it upsets him even more, and he continues to play on this level. I mean, listen, guys, we, we knew when Barry Odom had him on his squad a couple of years ago that it was something special. But this year, it's not only what I'm impressed with, what he does in the field, which is traditionally, what, 10 to 12 tackles and just filling up all the stuff that doesn't show on the stat line, the mistakes he cleans up that you'll never see on a stat line. But it's kind of the de facto assistant head coach mentality he takes to that defense. And that's, that's, that's been a tough year to do it. And Nick Bolton is a guy that I can at least go back and say, man, when he's an NFL star, I got a chance to follow him in, 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 in college. It's been a heck of a story to watch this year. The last Mizzou question that I wanted to ask you, Peter, is to just kind of look at this game this weekend, Arkansas versus Mizzou. At the beginning of the year, if you told me, hey, it's Arkansas versus Mizzou on December 1st, I would have told you this is going to be potentially one of the saddest games people have ever watched, but it, it's not that way. Arkansas has been really competitive, and this should be a pretty fun game to watch. What are you expecting out of this one? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm I'm expecting that Missouri is the better team here, and I think they're they're that's the reason why I think I'm leaning towards to see what Basilak is able to do, simply for the fact of, you know, between Basilak feeling more and more comfortable each and every week, despite not having this world wide receiving crew. I think that's 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 getting better each and week, but between Beatty and Roundtree, I think the offensive line is finally gelling, and Drink is being really creative in the way that he used them. And listen. I kind of thought, hey, Vanderbilt had been playing pretty well lately. You know, at, at they, they 
the numbers are obviously they hadn't won a game, but Ken Seals had really shown his medal that he was he was solid, and the adjustments they made and flustered him makes me think they, they'll have some success at doing that against uh, Felipe Franks this weekend. I actually like the Missouri Tigers beating Arkansas, which will give Drinkowitz, uh, I, I think he'll be the front runner for SEC Coach of the Year after that happens. We're talking with Peter Burns, ESPN SEC Network Studio anchor. And uh, also, you can catch him on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN. Peter, I have a quick question regarding a situation, we'll call it, in college football to where you have a team that's ranked number four, the Ohio State Buckeyes. They've had two real games, I'd call it, but they've only played four overall. How does college football sort this out if this team cannot get the mandatory games required? Because they are one of the best teams in the nation, but I guess the argument for the other teams is, well, they've barely played and they've only played really two good opponents. This is going to be a bit of a mess. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I, I've got to see six and oh, I got to see six and oh from Ohio state to, to declare them uh, one of the best teams. I, I need to see at least that part, especially when you have you know, teams like Cincinnati that will probably play nine or 10 games, like even Texas A&M, if they run the table and they're sitting at it nine and one, I, I, it would be hard for me, uh, although the eye test may look that way, if it was, hey, one or two games difference and they had played seven or eight games, I'm okay with it, maybe even six. But if you ultimately don't play this week against Michigan State, which is a possibility, and by the way, Ryan Day will not be coaching on the sidelines this week, um, in, in, in the only games you do play is possibly against Michigan, which is not very good. And then again, they will not qualify for the Big Ten Championship more than likely but they will play a game that day because of the, the champions week schedule. I got to see at least six wins from Ohio state in my mind to think that they're going to, to be that team that deserves it. Now, again, it's, it's a qu- question is, is it the best teams or is it the most deserving? That combination goes back and forth. I think this year it's, Hey, who, you know, Ty is going to go in my mind to the team that was able to play a more complete schedule and work harder at this. And I know the conference worked real hard in the ACC and the SEC to do it. I know the big 10 has kind of continually shot themselves in the foot. So I'm sorry for any uh, Buckeye fans that hear that, but uh, I, I want to see at least six games from them. Cause I do think they're really good guys. And I hope they do play those games. Cause I mean, we all win when we see better college football being played on Saturdays. Peter, you know, the, the counter argument to that and Ohio state fans, and I'm sure personnel will tell you, you can only win the games that you're allowed to play. And if for no fault of their own, I guess, per se, with this pandemic going on, they're limited to four games right now. Yes, we'd like to see them get to 6-0, and but what if they're held back? What if the league, what if college football says, no, you can't play these games? It's kind of not their fault. And the other thing here is, like, even if they do, is a game against Michigan State and Michigan going to tell you a whole lot this year about Ohio State? (laughs) Oh yeah, well, you, we say that, but think about years prior to where Purdue beat them or Iowa sure. just snuck up and beat them. I mean, this is also a Michigan State team that, if they played, um, just beat Northwestern, who is a fairly solid team. And keep in mind, if they do play the Spartans this weekend, this will be without their head coach, and there'll be the fact that they didn't practice all week long. So that game, honestly, I want to prove your medal because if you're a college football playoff contender you probably should be able to roll out, quote-unquote, your team and still have success, especially if Justin Fields is playing. Um, we just saw with you know Nick Saban not being on the sideline for Alabama, they had success. Uh, they didn't blink against in uh, Iron Bowl and uh, against Auburn. So, again, I, I, I just feel for all of the kids. I mean, 
this of all years would have been a perfect year for the college football playoff committee to dip their toes in the water and go, let's just see what it feels like by going to eight teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I think what we're seeing is, guys, it's hard enough to play week to week right now, much less tell, you know, put all these contracts on a hold trying to play an extra four games when we're just struggling to get by the season right now in the middle of this pandemic. Final quickie for you, Peter. I know you got to get out of here. If you had to put your Heisman ballot out there today, what would it look like? Right now, gosh, I would probably go Trask being one, Mac Jones being two, Trevor Lawrence being three, and Justin Fields being four. Um, and I and, and I, I feel bad because I have not. And the only reason why I say that I have not, I don't have a Heisman vote, so don't send me to that. Uh, I have not had a chance to really watch Zach Wilson, and I, I think that that's one of the things that if I did have a Heisman vote, I'd, I'd study a lot more because I hear the kid. I've seen highlights of him. He's great at BYU, and I think you got to give love to those guys, and it's not their fault. Their schedule has been kind of screwed up a little bit, but um, Zach Wilson would give some love uh, in, in as well. And Unfortunately, it's a quarterback-driven sport now, and that's why the Heisman tends to go that way. He's Peter Burns. Check him out on SEC Network. He's a studio anchor, also host of SEC This Morning on Sirius XM. Peter, we always appreciate the time, man. Look forward to talking with you each and every time that we're able to have you on. All the best to you and your family. You guys have a good holidays. Be safe, and uh, let's hope uh, this uh, Missouri bandwagon continues to roll on. It's been sure as hell fun to watch Drink and the Tigers play. Absolutely, Peter. Thanks so much, man. See you You got it. That is Peter Burns joining us here on 101 ESPN. So Mizzou season's been a heck of a lot of fun, man. It's been a lot of fun, and we were early on the Drinkwitz bandwagon. After I remember the first time we talked with him, Jamie. It was you and Stalter. That was when it was the better show with Stalter and Rivers. <laughs> and Clearly. Before they decided to put this schmuck in, the, in this chair. Um, you guys had him on, and I came into the studio afterwards, and I was like, holy hell, Mizzou's got itself football coach. It was weird because – I did not expect the energy and the enthusiasm from Coach Drink because he kind of doesn't look the part. Of course. So you expect him to come on and sound like an accountant. I mean, that in my head, <laughs> that's think, what I had predetermined that, right? You'd think he was one of the main characters from Office Space. Or a Jeopardy host. <laughs> or, yeah. or a Jeopardy host, Our yeah. contestant. But totally the opposite. He came out with lots of energy and, and lots of motivational talking. And, and by the time we were done with that interview... Like Stalter and I were ready to go through a wall for this guy. Yeah, and I, I, I've been thrilled to see the way that it's been implemented itself onto the football field as well. Because it's one thing to be able to sound good on the radio, right? We've we've heard some used car salesmen before, especially in college sports, where they actually get onto the field. I'm thinking of Butch Jones in particular out of Tennessee. Poor Butch, and it 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 goes poorly for you. <laughs> so it, it hasn't been that at all this season. He's been tremendous, despite as Peter Burns just said, a totally overmanned team at times when they have like 45 guys available. It's been wild. So it's been a lot of fun to watch and hopefully that continues this weekend. Mizzou takes on Arkansas coming up next six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it, including bet it or forget it. The NFL will be able to avoid a week 18. Talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Bet it or forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Jamie, let's start with this one. 
Better to forget it. The NFL is going to be able to avoid a week 18. Oh, baby. I don't know. I mean, if they can get this Ravens Steelers game, if they can actually ever get it played, I think they might be okay. However, the next Ravens Steelers situation that pops up, like the runway is shorter and shorter here to move games around. And I'm hoping that they can avoid a week 18, but. I think they got to do whatever they got to do. If they have another Raven Steelers situation, then yeah, keep bumping it back. Um, as of right now, I guess I will forget it, seeing that I think that they're going to be able to get this done in the regular amount of time. See, I'm going to forget it too. I mean, we've just seen the prime example of it when you can push a game back day after day after day and find a way to get it in. They literally pushed it into another week. Yeah, but still, I mean, you, look, the NFL looks as it looks at it as we could do whatever we want. You know, we got all of these days to work with a Tuesday, a Wednesday, maybe throw it on a Friday if we need to. And then isn't the game at like three o'clock yeah, because or they something? Got like the tree of Rockefeller. So, oh my God, like, what the hell are we doing here? But I'm going to forget this because the NFL has just shown us they can do whatever the hell they want to avoid week 18. I know the rules are very confusing. You're both betting it because the NFL would then avoid week 18. Hold on. Are we sure? Are we I'm sure? 100% positive. BK always does this to us. He sits at home. It's like, just how can I mind twist Alex and Jamie today? I don't know how that one was confusing. I'm just I'm just making sure to clarify for the people at home. <laughs> hey, at least They're Rivers butchered it. that, not me. I am so, as oh, well. Yeah. The yeah, NFL is going to avoid a week 18 and you guys are absolutely right. If they're able to make this work, with the Ravens and the Steelers when neither team had another open week. They're just like, ah, we'll figure it out. They're going to play Wednesday this week and Tuesday next week. And then the Monday after that, like, it's insane what they're doing. They're like going up, twisting themselves up into a pretzel just to be able to see a Ravens team without like half of its starters get its ass kicked against the Steelers on national television at 3.30 in the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday. Where's the game being played in Pittsburgh? I believe so. Do they have fans in the stands yet in Pittsburgh? No, the Northeast basically okay, answered so all of that. This is, we talk about the disadvantages to a pandemic season. This is an yeah, advantage to it because they don't have to worry about refunding tickets and people. Now they just play the game whenever. Heck, they played at midnight <laughs> if they want. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Better don't forget it. I think this might be a hot button issue for Jamie Rivers. The Buccaneers will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Oh, there's no question. No question in my mind that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win their last four games and they're going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I, the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees, what, you know, maybe he's one big hit away again from being injured. Taysom Hill is not the answer. No. Their long-term Seattle Seahawks didn't look great last night against a really a not good team in Philadelphia. The LA Rams are suspect. The Green Bay Packers, every time they play somebody good, seem to fall short. I'm all in. I'm betting it that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers represent the NFC. I'm all in on them not representing the NFC. I think you got better teams when it comes to the Saints and the Seahawks, at least from what we've seen. It was a bad week for the defense, but two weeks ago, the Seahawks defense was probably at its best that season. I think they'll get it right. I also think the Saints, once they get Breeze back, it's not going to be an easy transition, but they'll figure that out. I just, I don't see what Tampa is doing as representing the NFC compared to some of these other teams. It's going to be a tough road, but it'll be a tough road for anybody. 
I mean, the NFC is just absolutely loaded right now. The Saints, I have serious questions as to what Drew Brees is going to look like if and when he returns. A team cannot make a Super Bowl run with Taysom Hill as their quarterback. He no hasn't chance. thrown a touchdown pass yet. No chance. Uh, Alvin Kamara has turned into a pumpkin with him at quarterback. And Alvin Kamara is one of the best players in the NFL. Same thing for Michael Thomas. So I'm out on the Saints. The Seahawks have an unbelievable offense and a terrible defense. The Packers, it's the same thing. I I don't believe in the Rams. We saw it once again. Jared Goff's just too up and down. He's not going to be able to do it for three straight weeks. I'm betting it. I think the Bucs are going to make it to the Super Bowl. I I think people took the wrong things out of that Bucs-Chiefs game. The Bucks ended up in a game where they got just manhandled in the first quarter in a way that I'm not sure I've seen the Chiefs do to just about anybody else. That's as good as you're going to ever see that offense. They lost that game by three points. Like, I, I know Tom Brady was bad. He threw the two picks. Both were terrible. The defense early on was horrible, had one of the worst game plans that you'll ever see against Tyreek Hill. You can't one-on-one him uh, against a corner that's not bad. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no. They lost the game by three, and Tyree or uh, Tra- Travis Kelsey had an unbelievable game. Tyree Kill had a career day, and Patrick Mahomes had to have an incredible play on third down to extend the drive to win the game. The Bucks very well could have come back in that one. If the Bucks get one more possession, if they if the ball ends up back in Tom Brady's hands, this is where I, I really complimented Patrick Mahomes yep. for not allowing that to happen. Had it happened, I would argue that at minimum the Buccaneers tie that game. It's going to overtime, at minimum. Then they lose it in overtime. Maybe, but they very well could have scored. I mean, the way that they were playing late in that game, I didn't confidence that the Chiefs were going to stop them. That defense had zero pressure on Tom Brady. Their offensive line is really good. Their receivers were finally starting to figure it out. Rob Gronkowski shredded that defense through the second half. The Bucs are still a really good team. I think we're overreacting a little bit to a game that they lost by three points, covered the spread against what we all seem to agree is the best team in the NFL. So give me the Bucs versus the field. I'll take them. I'll bet it. They are going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Speaking of the NFC, bet it or forget it, the Giants will win the NFC East. Wow. This is the Deuce Division and... They're currently leading the division at four and seven. It's incredible to me that this a team from this division will be allowed into the playoffs. That's incredible to me. And, but I, I'm going to forget it because Daniel Jones is out now. And I thought, you know, Danny Dimes, he's Danny no rock Dimes. star by any means, <laughs> but he's been adequate and he's been g- good, if you want to say eh. good. Eh. Impossible. Air quotes. He's been Carson Wentz good. Good. But now without him, I don't know if they they get it done. All of a sudden, I'm looking at the Washington football team and going, you know what? Yep. They're not looking too bad. Basically, I'm sitting here going, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Ribs. I'm forgetting this. The Washington football team is going to win that division. Now that they have a reliable quarterback in Alex Smith, their defense is better than what I think anybody expected them to be in terms of pass defense. And then with the rush of Chase Young, Antonio Gibson has been a surprise. Terry McLaren is turning himself into a superstar. I don't think anybody can catch the Washington football team. Giants would have made it interesting with Danny Dimes, but without him, I don't know. So yeah, my pick, and I said it Friday, is the Washington football team winning that division. Interesting. I'm surprised that you guys are on this bandwagon as well. 
Let's sweep it. The three of us. I thought this was going to be an unpopular opinion because I've heard everybody saying the Giants lately. With Danny Dimes, I think it's, I, I, I don't want to say it's an automatic. I think it's kind of automatic, but without him, and they got a whole new... Like, yeah, but see, even with him, I think Washington makes that interesting because of how good that defense also, is. I thought the Eagles had it wrapped up. Oh, jeez. Well, Early on, I did. Then you forgot that Carson Wentz was an actual quarterback for that team. I forgot that Carson team. Wentz didn't have an offensive line or anybody to pass to. I think nobody looked at the schedule that's <laughs> upcoming for the Giants either. They've got the Seahawks this week, then the Cardinals, the Browns, at the Ravens, and finally they finish things off against the Cowboys. Maybe they win that that's five wins. That's at best winning one more game down the stretch of this. I think Washington just has a little bit easier of a path to six. Yeah, they got Steelers and four, Steelers and the Seahawks that are probably the toughest opponents. And then they've got the 49ers in Arizona. They're going to play That's that right. game down in Arizona, Carolina, and then finishing out the season in a game that I think is going to determine the division against the Eagles on the road in Philly. And I got to tell you, the Washington game against the Seahawks, that might be an interesting one for the Washington team because if that defense can shut down Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf like they've done, I think that offense could do some things against Seattle. That The defense is good. The defense is legitimately I good. I like the story, too. Absolutely. I, too. I mean, Alex Smith has not been great for them, but he's been good enough that they have been able to be able to compete, and I I think that's the team that's going to represent that, that division in the playoffs and the team that's going to benefit the most from that is probably going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who will almost certainly play them in the first round of the NFC playoffs. It's going to be an interesting storyline to watch with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Carlos Martinez, a trade candidate. We'll tell you the team that might make sense for him and who represents it coming up next on 101 on ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. If it were part of a larger deal, and let's say the Red Sox were so desperate to rebuild their system, they were willing to throw in, you know, a, a major league piece as well and, and acquire a prospect and a Carlos Martinez, which could give the Cardinals some payroll relief. Those types of deals are worth keeping an eye on because for a team like the Cardinals, who does have payroll constraints, it's a way for them to improve next year's team without taking a big chunk of payroll on and. That was Mark Saxon earlier today on 101 ESPN, and he's referencing there a potential trade between the Cardinals and the Red Sox that would send Carlos Martinez to Boston. And the reason he's doing so is because Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic wrote earlier today, quote, the Red Sox are uniquely positioned to buy prospects by taking on big salaries and trades, the kind of move that would satisfy their dual goals of building for the future while also improving in 2021. One-year possibilities could include the Royals' Danny Duffy, Orioles' Alex Cobb, or Cardinals' Carlos Martinez. Perhaps the Red Sox could acquire one of those pitchers along with a decent prospect and part with longer-range prospects in return, end quote. That, again, coming from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Jamie, I have been of the opinion all offseason, Carlos Martinez is borderline untradeable. Twelve and a half mil or eleven and a half million dollars, rather. That's just too much of a salary for a relative unknown in what he's going to be able to give whoever he goes to this offseason. I don't see there being a market for that. And then I see Drew Smiley <laughs> get eleven million dollars on the open market for one year, and I'm like, oh, well, Carlos Martinez has more upside than Drew Smiley. Smiley's had like twenty five starts in the last four years, so maybe I'm a little off on my read of the pitching market. If this is the case. 
and the Red Sox would, even if it is like an A ball, high A, um, high upside type of a player for Carlos Martinez plus somebody in AAA that's got decent upside. I would do that in a heartbeat because then the Cardinals could take that $11.5 million and get a guy like Nelson Cruz who actually changes the lineup for a player in Carlos Martinez who we have no idea what he's going to do for the Cardinals next year, what his role is going to be, or if he's going to be effective in whatever that role is. Look, here's where I am with Carlos Martinez. Trade him for anything. I don't care if there's no upside coming back. I don't care if there's a guy that's retired, sitting at home, and he's still on their roster. I'll take him. It's time to move on, man. I just, I'm tired of the Carlos Martinez talk of so much potential. And if he gets back to where he was, and if, and if, and if, and I'm like, it's if all the time with this guy. And then he doesn't last year's baloney where he doesn't want to be in the bullpen, wants to be in the rotation. And then there's always this like cloud of thunder that's just around him all the time that something might go awry. And I know he did the music video down in in, what Dominican Republic, whatever it is, what it is, but it's always something, even if it's minor, there's a little bit of a distraction there. And at 11 and a half million dollars, I don't need the distraction. So if the Boston Red Sox are willing to take on Carlos Martinez and just send me back anything. I don't even care if they send me back anything. I'm getting that $11.5 million off the books. Now you can go get a guy that has upside that you believe in or go get a proven guy at $11.5 million. You could take that and sign Wayno. You could sign Wayno for $10 million. I mean, I, I'm just saying. I would rather get the bat, but yeah, he, however you decide I'd rather get to the spend bat the too, money. But the DH still hasn't been determined. That's so true. Nelson Cruz could be a pipe dream if all of a sudden Major League Baseball goes, yeah, you know what? We're going back to the old I, I rules. think regardless of Carlos Martinez, Nelson Cruz is a pipe dream, at least from what Kylie McDaniel's putting out there. Him projecting to make $20 million depends on oh, what he has. What do you put on that ESPN list? Million. Well, he put two years for $40 million. So you're Whoa. looking at close well. to $20 million, which is a little <laughs> bit of a pipe dream if you're asking me. Oh, maybe I'm on so much for this being a suppressor. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, when you look at the numbers that he's put up, it makes sense. Despite yeah. his age, he's still hitting as a DH. What about the name Andrew Benatendi? Oh. I can't pronounce the guy's name, but I saw the rumor on ESPN Plus that apparently Boston feels like he hasn't hit his potential. Because he another, hasn't. Well, he hasn't, but it's another <laughs> outfielder. All right? Like, wait, it's wait, a, wait, stop right there. Stop yourself right there, because yesterday... <laughs> Yesterday, yep. you had had it with all these outfielder talk. That's because Jock I'm, Peterson I'm done with Jock Peterson. George Springer, that. We already have too many outfielders. Alex Ferrario was like, we're done with the outfielder talk. Now you're adding an outfielder. Well, it's another bat that at least has somewhat of an upside. But the, what happened to your theory from yesterday? I, we already the theory have too is many still there. In the outfield. But if we're going to do it, let's embrace it. Am I right? No. I, no. <laughs> you still have too many people. Here's where I am, I am on this. I don't think I would move Carlos at this point. I was reading Derek Gould's Q and A that he did for the Post Dispatch. Yeah, look, let me hear me out. All right, I'll try. Hear me out. Derek Gould was doing this Q and A because somebody put that out there. Can you get out of this contract at all? And Derek actually pointed out the fact that you might want to stick with this because going from a pitching staff that pitched the minimum innings that they did last year of sixty games compared to doing a hundred and sixty-two game schedule. That's injury territory for those starting pitchers that you're trying to lengthen out. You're going to need some swingmen, Derek talked about. And I think Carlos can be that swingman where he's a bullpen piece unless an injury pops up or unless you're not going to let these guys go deep into games right away. 
He's a guy that you can now granted if he's healthy, which we don't know. He's a guy who can be the bullpen piece, who can be a weapon to put in the rotation extra for you. So for the $18 million that if you're going to trade, you might not get anything worthwhile. It might be beneficial to keep him there to protect the Jack Flaherty and some of these younger pitchers. He can be that guy, but will he be that guy? Well, I don't That's think he has the problem. I don't think he has any room to tell the Cardinals well, what he he's did going last to be. Year. Well, he didn't do, do go to the Dominican last year and put a music video well, out. He and did go through all of his scrutiny. Though. He's always yeah, he had did. something surrounding him. I don't think and he has that leeway after what happened last I'd year. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather put my chips in the basket on one of the other guys to stretch them out and have them be the swing guy from the bullpen to two of those other. Other guys might be in your rotation regardless if you don't have Wayno or Hudson or Miles Michaelis. Yeah, we'll see on Miles Michaelis. I, I think he's going to it's a it's a hope and a prayer and fingers crossed that he's going to be OK. But I, I believe that he'll be all right for next year. I I don't know that Carlos gives you a ton of value on the current roster for his salary. Right. It's always about this cost benefit analysis. What does he give you at eleven and a half million dollars versus headaches? What could that eleven and a half million dollars give you elsewhere? Now, to your point for Ario on the two year, 40 million dollar deal for Nelson Cruz. OK, well, that changes things a little bit. I didn't think that he was going to get that kind of money. But if you could get that money and spend it elsewhere, maybe you do. I know you hate the name. Don't do it. If you're looking at a Jock Peterson. Oh, my God. There it is. And he's at like a one-year, eight, nine-million-dollar deal. Well, you just (laughs) – you you repurpose that money that way. Even if it is just – if you have to decide, Carlos versus Wayno, I think Wayno offers you more at this point. It's a no-brainer. To do exactly what you're talking about by providing that value of eating the innings going into yeah, next Alex. year. I I just, if you have to make that type of a decision, I would go the route of Adam Wainwright. I don't think Carlos has the value that his contract would suggest right now. I do want to get more into that in a little while, though, Ferrario, because I do think the the idea of the Cardinals being in maybe a good spot because of the number of starting pitchers that they have. Yeah, Jamie. Could very well be an advantage for them going into next year, similar to how it was this year, but for very different reasons. We'll get into that coming up a little bit later on today. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. Former Blue Superstar Defenseman, that's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So you guys know, I went through the whole proposal thing very recently, right? Proposed my then-girlfriend. We are now happily um, engaged. And before you do that, you have to ask the father if you can take his daughter's hand in marriage, right? You got to get the permission. You got to talk to the dad. And then eventually you go through with the full deed of getting down on the knee and proposing. Traditionally, you're supposed to do that, correct? Absolutely. So... The Lions have a new interim coach. Oh, boy. His name is Daryl Bevel. His daughter is uh, very soon to be an engaged woman. Now, you may wonder, how the hell do you know that, BK? How do you know that she's going to be engaged? It's kind of weird, actually. Well, Daryl Bevel told all of us in his first press conference as the interim head coach of the Detroit Lions. He was asked how he found out that he was going to be the interim. He said, on Saturday, I was with my family, my wife, three daughters, and uh, then my two, I guess, future son-in-laws now. They both wanted to talk to me this past weekend. He let the cat out of the bag. I'm sitting here going, what is this guy doing? That they asked him if they could take his daughter in marriage. Both of them separately asked him for his two daughters to have their hand in marriage. 
He said it on the Zoom call, and then later somebody followed up on it and said, Daryl, we just want to follow up here. Um, have they asked your daughter yet to marry oh, them? Is that when it hit him? And he said, nope, they have not. Uh-huh. They asked me, though, for their permission. <laughs> somebody was live tweeting at one of the reporters because, of course, that's his job, right? Oh, my. Can you imagine being one of his daughters and having that slip up in a press conference that, hey, I'm assuming they probably have a, an idea that it's coming, but hey, your current boyfriend is going to propose and he asked your dad to do so, to have permission to do so. And he just mentioned it in his first press conference. I would be, listen, as the daughter, I would be pissed as the soon to be husband or the <laughs> son-in-law. I'd be even more pissed because you know as well as I do. And Ferrari, you know this too. There's planning that oh goes into God, it, right? Yeah. And you try to make it a, a very memorable moment because you're hoping it's your one and only marriage and you live together for the rest of your lives. So let's make this moment epic. Well, now what? Oh, by the way, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I saw my dad on TV and you want to just give me that ring now? If you're the boyfriend, you got to call an audible. You gotta, you gotta you break up with her. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. you do it for a, no. Yeah, you break up with her for a week. No, yeah, that'll and then work. you propose to her. You hide in the closet, and then when they come hey, in and say, "Oh, hey, hey,", hey. <laughs> that's so already been just, oh, on, somebody's <laughs> used that already. <laughs> you gotta call an audible if you're the boyfriend, right? Like, I think you lie and be like, "I never talked to your dad. I don't know what you're talking about." Oh, that I don't think that's see, not gonna work. You gotta I call would the do the breakup. Be like, I just don't think I can do this. Oh yeah, that'll work. Four or five days, you let it simmer, and you tell the dad on the side, listen, I'm doing this on purpose. You tell the mom, and then at the four or five days, you say, look, I want to come talk to you. Throw down on the knee and be like, I was just kidding, baby. Do, do you remember asking? <laughs> you did this recently, but yeah. it was, that was the most awkward experience of my life. Why? It was just uncomfortable. Like, how do you start a conversation? Oh, hey, can I ask your daughter to... Oh, that? That. Yeah. That was very uncomfortable. It was awkward. Yeah, it was fine. I thought it was uncomfortable. I'm like, hey, it and was I kind forgot of to expected, bring the ring too. right? Yeah. So I was like, hey, look, it, we're planning... I was planning a trip to Chicago. We did the whole nine yards, did a whole crazy day out, night out, all that stuff. And I just told... Uh, I just talked to Shannon's mom, actually, and talked to her and to say, listen, I'm here for a reason. It's to propose to your daughter, and I would like to have your blessing before, you know, uh, we're going to do the day no matter what, right. but before I go down on one knee. Yeah, mine, and- mine was pretty easy. Um, I just went upstairs. Yeah, I was like, you were living there, so it doesn't really matter. From the 314, you call the audible, you propose to the sister. Oh, God, that'd I be incredible. I was thinking about that, too, that both of them proposed to the other one. That'd be kind of funny. That'd be hilarious. Jamie, what do you have for us today? Okay, so if you, have you guys seen Peyton's places? Yeah. yeah. Peyton Manning? First of all, this guy's a natural. Yep. I love it. I wish they'd have it on regular TV, not just on their website or whatever. But anyways, Peyton Manning has a show where he goes and visits with all sorts of people. And this time it was Marshawn Lynch. Okay? Incredible. And Marshawn Lynch is famous for Skittles, right? Loves his Skittles. Talks about eating Skittles on the sidelines and all that. Well, Peyton Manning dove into other things with Marshawn Lynch, and Skittles isn't the only thing Marshawn Lynch enjoyed before or during a game. So Peyton was talking about his pregame routine, and Marshawn Lynch says flat out, well, my superstition was that I needed to have maybe a shot, a shot and a half before every game. Peyton Manning was like, wait, what? A shot of what? He said, oh, Hennessy. What do you mean? What do you mean? He's like, of course, Hennessy, a shot and a half before every game. And he goes, well, you're not allowed to have liquor in the NFL locker. He goes, nah, the bar's in my backpack, Marshawn Lynch said. So according to Marshawn Lynch, 
uh, before every game, he had a shot, a shot and a half of Hennessy to take the edge off and put him into the zone. Gentlemen, I have a story. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> I have a story. Uncle Ribs, everyone sit down. I'm playing for the Detroit Red Wings, and the locker room is always a very serious place. Trust me, we had a bunch of guys who got after it after games or when we went out to eat and drink or whatever. It was fun. But the locker room was very serious. Steve Eiserman's your captain. There's no messing around. We trade for a guy named Robert Lang, who comes in, and Robert Lang happened to be leading the league in scoring that year. We just added on. It's like a $100 million payroll. <laughs> I was like, yeah, just throw it in the pile. Which was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So Robert Lang had this little bottle in his locker, and he would take little sips of it before the game. And now that's at the time where some of the ginseng shots were coming out. During the game? Before and during the game. (laughs) Okay? But this is when some of the vitamin B shots, the ginseng shots, all this stuff was happening where little wee bottles of stuff and guys were drinking them, and it was like, you know, whatever. Five-hour energy, that sort of thing. Exactly. Similar to that. So... Steve Eiserman gets up before a game one time. And he's feeling not good. He's like, I feel sluggish. And I tell Stevie, I go, well, Langer's got something over there. And I go, I don't know. He seems to drink it all the time. So he walks Did over. Did you know what he you No idea. Know. No idea. Okay. So I walks over to Robert Lang's stall. Robert Lang is somewhere else for some reason, maybe throwing up because he drank too much. But anyways, Stevie Y takes the little bottle and takes a pull off of it. And goes, ha! He looks back at me with anger. I'm like, what? He's like, it's straight booze. <laughs> it was like some Czech, Czech Republic moonshine that this dude had in his bag. I had no idea. So Stevie takes a shot of this thing, walks back. He comes up to me halfway through the first. He goes, Rivs, I'm half drunk right now playing <laughs> hockey. And he probably scored six goals in that game. So, of course, we have to ask Langer after the game. What the hell is that? And he goes, oh, well, who took some? And we said, well, Stevie took some. He started laughing hysterically. And then he said, well, yeah, it's, it's basically moonshine oh. that's homemade. And he goes, it just, uh, he's like, it just settled my nerve a little bit. I'm like, oh, my God. So I directed Steve Eisman to get half drunk before the game off Robert Lang's home stash, a la Marshawn Lynch. What a, what a boss. What From a what boss I move. understand, by the way. I think this is more common than people would expect in locker rooms, especially NFL locker rooms, like football locker rooms for whatever reason. And I don't think it's guys like getting hammered, right? They're not sitting there like drinking a fifth of vodka before the game. (laughs) But I think there are some guys, quite a few of them, that'll take maybe a pull, maybe a shot, whatever, kind of like Marshawn Lynch was saying, to take a little bit of the nerves off right before the game. It just has a little bit of a pregame ritual. I could not imagine doing that. The ladies' man, Robert Lang. Robert Lang with the nice flow. With that hair. Used to call him Buffalo Head. (laughs) 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Back to the first story. This is great from the 636. Alex, you can't even poop at your wife's parents' house. How the hell did you propose? That. Another one coming from the three. At their house. Yeah, I didn't do either. The 314. (laughs) That must have been a really uncomfortable conversation because Ferrario had to leave in the middle of the conversation because he had to go to the gas station to be able to use the restroom. <laughs> Jokes on you, Texter. I went before. <laughs> Coming up next, what if Albert Pujols had stayed in St. Louis? How would we view him? How would he be viewed here in St. Louis moving forward? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to 
to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So I was reading MLB.com earlier today and Will Leach put together a good story. The Cardinals fan lives down in Georgia and he wrote about what if starting a new series on there. What if Albert Paul stayed in St. Louis? He signed that same 10 year, $240 million deal. But instead of going to the Angels, he signed it here in St. Louis. So it starts in 2012. It finishes in 2021. This upcoming season's his last year on that current deal. What if he did that? What if Poole stayed here? Let's go through a few of his biggest takeaways, Jamie, and then we'll kind of expand this conversation a little bit. But these are the biggest takeaways that Albert or that Will Leach had in his piece about Albert staying in St. Louis. His first one, Albert Pujols then would go down as the greatest Cardinal ever setting all of his records in St. Louis and reaching milestones like 3,000 hits, 600 home runs, and 2,000 RBIs while in a Cardinals uniform. I don't think, and maybe our text line would disagree with this, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I don't think Albert would have gone down as the greatest Cardinal ever if he stayed in St. Louis. I think it still would have been Stan. Because Albert, the guy that we've seen over the last 10 years, is not the same player that we saw the first 10 years. We saw the best of Albert. He would have reached all those milestones. And 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 I don't think people would care if he's not the same Albert reaching those milestones and staying in St. Louis. I think you are right there comparable with Stan. It's like a 1A, 1B. And everything he did off the field, too, here mm-hmm. in St. Louis, with his Pujols Foundation and right. all those things that he did, that would have just kept growing yeah. with the certainty of another 10 years in St. Louis. I think Albert, I think he does become but the greatest. Even going away from St. Louis, he's still, in a lot of people's opinions, top five greatest Cardinals sure. of all time. Does he still get a red jacket? Oh, Absolutely. God, yeah. And a statue. I mean, you he think gets, a statue? I think you're going to get a statue wow. of Albert Pools. But I think if he stays, like, if he stays and is the same player that he is with the Angels, he still goes down as as the same echelon as Stan Musial in St. Louis. See, I look at Stan, I mean, 330 career batting average, a 159 OPS plus for his career. If you look at Albert, I mean, when he left St. Louis, it was in that same line of thinking, right? 330 batting average and a 170 OPS plus. That was in his time here in St. Louis. Since then, he's been a 110 OPS plus, and he's had a 250 batting average. He hasn't been the same player. So the last decade, I think it would have changed. It would have skewed in a lot of people's opinions, the way that they look at him. I, I think he would have been an all-time great no matter what. He, he already had established that. It's kind of like the conversation we've had about Yachty, right? His legacy is already entrenched here in St. Louis, regardless of what happens from here, whether he stays, goes, plays another year, two years, whatever. We already know what his legacy is going to be in St. Louis. And that was the case for Albert in his first decade here in the city. But I think these last 10 years would have done more harm than good for him in, in, in some ways because he just he hasn't been that same player. Would he have been different here, though? I think, I, it would have I, I think there's an argument there. I think there's a no. See, I think there's a different medicine when it comes to playing somewhere your entire like. I think there's a different vibe that comes with Albert Pujols if he stays in St. Louis rather than goes to the Angels. There's What's he more play because oh. he, he, he can't play first base every day with his foot. And there was no DH until this last season. I think he plays even less than he did out in uh, um, in L.A. And so I think there's actually a case that some of these milestones that he's hitting right now, it would have been harder for him to achieve them here in St. Louis because of the playing time maybe that he, he might have missed out Maybe on. he doesn't get that injury, though, playing in St. Louis rather than 
in, in in LA. I mean, there's a lot of what ifs and all of that with what could have happened here compared to playing in the angels. But regardless, I think, and I don't, I don't know if you're the same page ribs, but I don't think that changes anything. He could have been horrible. People would have been upset with the contract, but they would have still loved the fact that it was Albert Pujols finishing his career in St. Louis. I do think that there's a certain aura that would have been around it, Absolutely. him staying around and, you know, we could debate whether he would have met all those milestones and, and whatnot. But I think the people here in St. Louis, and like I said, it goes it goes outside the walls of the of the baseball stadium. Uh, the the amount of things Albert did in the community and the way he was entrenched in charitable organizations. I just think that this day and age too, with all the social media and all that stuff, I think Albert's popularity would have continued to grow even though his production started to fail. He even got the stamp of approval from Stan himself at the time that Stan was alive about Albert Pujols. I just I think there I think there's a different vibe with Pujols here compared to Pujols elsewhere. I think that is absolutely the case. Totally agree with that. I just I don't know that I think he would have gone down as a Mount Rushmore player. He might already be that just for his first 10 years here. So I think that would have been the case for him here in St. Louis. Just number one, getting to number one on that list, the bar here is almost as high as it is in any city in America to be the best baseball player that's ever played for that team. And I I don't know that his stats would have backed that up. The next takeaway that he had, Will Leach did, as he put together his story on what if Albert Pujol stayed in St. Louis, said Beltron would have never signed with the Cardinals and his Hall of Fame case would not have been as strong as a result. Now, that's really interesting. Carlos Beltran signed the two-year deal with St. Louis in 2012 and then played for him in 2013 when they went to the World Series, and he was really good with the Cardinals, of course. They don't sign that contract with him if Albert Pujols is here. Some of the money that Pujols left on the table went, as a result, to Carlos Beltran. Somebody on the text line said that they think that if Albert stayed, the Cardinals would have won the 2013 2013 World Series. Albert Pujols was worse in 2013 as a hitter than Carlos Beltran was. So I actually don't agree with that. I'm not sure the Cardinals get to the World Series that year if Albert's still here. I don't know. Again, I go back to if you put Albert back here in St. Louis with the electricity of playing for Cardinals fans, let's just be honest. It's not the same vibe playing for the Angels. It's just not. It doesn't carry the same. Competitiveness isn't there like it was with St. Louis. No, and so I think that in 2013, although Albert's numbers were not as good as Beltran, in that situation, right, it's all in hindsight. If you put that player in that situation, does he elevate his game in that moment? Knowing Albert Pujols and the way he elevated his game within one single game where he could elevate himself, I would imagine he could have elevated his game to another level and helped the Cardinals. But Beltran was a good signing. I mean, it's, it's incredible, all yeah. neither here nor there type mm. thing. I- I'm with you, BK. I don't think they win 2013 World Series with Pujols because Beltran was just a different anomaly. Like, he was a breath of fresh air. And you do look at Albert Pujols kind of going down a little bit. Maybe he stays the same in St. Louis or gets better with the, with the vibe of playing in STL. But with Beltran, there was just a different electricity to him. He provided... He provided a new flair for the Cardinals, I feel like, when Pujols left, and it just brought some energy to some of those other players. I don't know if Pujols changes that in 2013. It definitely makes it competitive, but Beltran, I don't... I think he's still a Hall of Famer. I think the case becomes a lot more difficult for Beltran without his two years in St. Louis, but... Is Beltran a Hall of Famer now? With the 2017 stuff? I think so. I mean... <laughs> well, I, I'm being serious. He's I, still I don't one know. of the best switch hitters. 
I, I love Carlos Beltran. I think, I think he in, has in terms look. of like the numbers, there's no question he, de- yeah. he I think he deserves to be in. I think 2017 kind of changes a lot of things for him. The one season, though, if you take his body of work overall, it's pretty impressive. If you deleted that season and you gave him nothing for that season, the and rest he basically of it, was, for what it's worth, offensively nothing that year. He, he was he bad was to just play. a, contrib- a yeah. contribution to a World Series team. Yeah, and that was cheating. Okay, right. so it is what it is <laughs> yeah. at this point. But I still think he's a Hall of Famer, specifically because, like you said, he really wasn't even all that good in that season. Yeah. Maybe he should have not listened for the trash cans. Oh, that's true. Well, look at his success, too. I mean, he, he turned the Mets into a contender with their roster for the time he was there. He made the Royals intriguing to pay attention mm-hmm. to. And then, of course, the Cardinals, if you take the Cardinals away, I still, still think he's a Hall of Famer regardless. He's a hell of a player. I yeah. would certainly vote him on on my ballot, but I'm also a little more lenient on a lot of these things. Right. Than, uh, I think Pete Rose should be in. I think. Well, he, at this point... Yeah, for sure. At this point, we're putting everyone in. Might as well. Everybody's getting in now. The final takeaway that Will Leach had, and I think this is probably the most significant one. If Albert Pujols had stayed in St. Louis, Wayno and Yachty probably don't end their careers here in St. Louis. Wayno signed a five-year, $97 million extension in 2014. And then Molina signed two more deals in total after that, that combined $135 million over eight seasons. If Yachty or if Pujols had stayed, I think the Cardinals probably would have had to say goodbye to one of those players. I don't think both would have had to go elsewhere, but I don't know that they would have been able to give out two of those deals that basically over the life of them were $35 million in total per season. I don't know that the Cardinals could have or would have probably would have is the more optimal word there. Yeah. Done that if if Albert Pujols had stayed, which would have changed a lot of things. In the end, they picked correctly, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like you look back on it, and if you could, if I told you in 2011 what we know now, and you knew that looking forward as to what those three players would be over the next decade, you absolutely would have signed up for Yachty and Wayno over Pujols, right? Like if I told you in 2011, hey, this is what the next 10 years are going to be, and you can pick two of these three players for the next 10 years. You would have taken at that point what Yachty and Wayno have two done. Of them? I'm yeah. taking Pujols and Yachty over Wayno. I would have. I would have too. Really? Yeah. I would have. Why? Well, well one Albert Pujols. Yeah, Molina speaks for itself too. Defense and what he does for the pitching staff. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm all in with you on on uh, Yachty. You would have taken Albert Pujols over the last ten years over what well, the Cardinals have okay, received but from Knowing Adam what Wainwright? we know now, it's an unfair question, right. right? Because no, but that's what that's what I'm asking. So knowing what I knew then. 10 years ago, yeah. I would have taken Albert Pujols over Adam Wayne. Sure, but I'm saying knowing what we know now. Oh, okay. Oh, the, yeah. the, the Cardinals, looking back, made the right bet. They made the right bet in going Correct. with these two I players. I thought you were saying in a hypothetical world, like if you could you go back. You had the opportunity to go Pujols, Yachty, or Wayno. Yeah. 10 years oh. ago. Then I would now have it's obvious because yeah. Pujols has taken a turn for the worse. Yeah. He's a DH. Let me ask you this, guys, real quick. The DH comes to the National League for good, right? Albert's contract is over after next year, correct? No. Hang on. Yeah. Is it? Yes. Okay. Do you bring him back to St. Louis to one, to A, retire as a Cardinal, two, he probably takes next to nothing. What if he signed like an $800,000 deal? Who cares? I know that's absurd. But what if he signed a two or $3 million deal, comes back to St. Louis, retire as a Cardinal, you got him on the bench in case you need him. Otherwise, he's just your... You know, your spectacle on the bench. Albert Pujols is your back mascot. here in the co- Do you make that? I I 
sign him to do that. I would bring him back just to do that. No. I would for next year. If the Cardinals could trade basically nothing right now for, for Albert and just bring him in on this deal, because I know they're not competing for anything meaningful next year, like realistically speaking, right? We we can all talk about what we want them to do to get a little bit better. To It's six to one, half a dozen to another, right? They're, they're probably going to win around 90 games. They're going to get to the playoffs and they're going to lose in the NLDS. Like we kind of know how the next season is most likely going to go for them. So Albert on that team, I think would be a lot of fun because especially if you're able to have fans in the stands, you could give them the proper send off at this point. You could go out that way. 2021 or 2022, rather the following season. That's when the winning's supposed to start again. That's when they're supposed to go into the big time free agent class to be able to get somebody that's a, yeah, but what I'm saying isn't really going to affect their bottom line. What I'm saying is you no, throw them a but complimentary that, deal. I want everything geared towards winning in 2022. And Albert pools is not a winning type of a move at that point, based on how he is as a player right now. I also think you've passed those milestones. So like you're bringing him back for the milestones. And I don't know if he's hitting any more of them in St. Louis. Maybe so he's got that one last at bat boys. Well, he's right. Needs, he needs uh. 60 more at-bats to make those milestones happen. No, but I'm under- I am get you. understand what I'm saying is in your playoff that series. holiday moment. Exactly. One of those types of things. Um, and a text line, 65780, everybody all over us because Albert has signed a 10-year personal service contract with the Angels. It starts those in 2022. Those things you can always finagle them, though, especially if he decides he wants to continue playing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we've we've seen this kind of stuff before. You, you can you can make it work if if everybody needs to. You, you can find a way to get out of that. It's it's possible there could be some sort of like a buyout type of. It, there's a million different ways that it would happen. But you would actually sign up for that in 2022, even if it meant that the Cardinals are signing him as basically a mascot. Yeah, I would absolutely do it. Interesting, a hundred percent. Especially if I'm the Dewitts and I've been taking a lot of heat for not spending money, not bringing guys and, and losing historic players like Albert Pujols and maybe what happens with Wayno and Yachty. Who knows if they come back? Absolutely, I'm making that move. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters coming up next, including the most concerning performance by a winning team on Sunday. Was it by the Rams, the Browns, the Raiders, or the Cardinals? We'll dive into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's dive through some NFL quick hitters reacting to the weekend that was in the league. Start out with the most concerning performance by a team with a winning record that lost on Sunday. There were four in particular that really stand out to me, Jamie, that were eh, concerning. The Rams... The Browns, I know they won, but yeah, if you win the way that they did, does it really count as a win? I don't know. <laughs> the Raiders or the Cardinals? Out of those four performances on Sunday, Jamie, which is the most concerning to you? Um, the Rams, Browns, Raiders, or the Cardinals? The Browns, I just figured that's par for the course. Their 8-3 and three record is just, it's smoke and mirrors to me. So I'm not even worried about that. They're not even my discussion. As far as being worried about a team... I think the Rams. I really do. Like, yeah, the Raiders could be in that conversation because they were just god-awful. But again, I think it's like you write it off as, okay, that was just one god-awful game. Everybody has them once a year. If you're lucky, only once a year. But the Rams, I feel like I feel like they've hit the ceiling with Jared Goff. Like, I don't feel like there's anywhere else to go with this player. Yet I feel like the head coach 
has a lot more to give on the offensive mm-hmm. side. I feel like he has a lot more potential than what his his quarterback has as far as his ceiling. And so for me, that's why the Rams are the most concerning is I think that they have a quarterback that's their franchise guy right now that is maxed out, and he's never going to be able to meet the expectations of what the coach could possibly bring to the table. See, I, I'm on the Raiders with this. Oh, I, I'm sticking with the Rams just because at least they have two defensive players that are the best in the game right now in Ramsey and Donald. Like, they have that going for them. I don't honestly know how the Raiders got to this point. No, and I'm probably going to upset BT with this one, but other than Derek Carr, who is kind of smoking mirrors, he's great one week and then bad another week. He's got weapons, but they're smoking mirrors. Their defense isn't John great. John Gruden, baby. John Gruden pisses me off more than anything. He's the reason. They, they've beaten... They, they beat the Chiefs. They were competitive with the Chiefs, but they're a division team, and I think you know division teams better. We just saw it with the, the 49ers and the Rams. Yeah, but at the time, the Saints were trash, too, uh, at the beginning saying. of the season. Not many teams can say that. I just They concern me now when you do that to the Atlanta Falcons. And again, Falcons are kind of their own problem. Well, now you're pissing <laughs> off Stalter. Well, might as well the take two out right coming now. For Alex now. I, I don't know. The Raiders just, totally they're concerning. Fair. They're concerning to me. They're on the outside looking in now for, for the playoff race. And we thought a couple of weeks ago, oh, that's a team that almost surefire going to get in. And that right? was just a ugly performance. Like there was nothing to be proud about. That's there. why I'm chalking it up as like, it's that anomaly, right? Everybody has that stinker. It in was the a letdown after the Chiefs, a super yeah. disappointing loss that they felt like they were going to be able to get, and they threw everything at the Chiefs. I mean, that was their kitchen sink game. We're going to throw anything that we have Mm -hmm. into this game, and if we win it, we have just made our season, and we beat the Chiefs twice. We swept the season series. People are going to take us seriously as a contender now. And then imagine emotionally coming down right. off of that after playing. They played the Chiefs really well. And you got to play the Falcons, who you think you're supposed to beat anyway. On the road, East Coast game, early time. I mean, it just, everything set up for that to be a total trap game, and they fell into it. And it, that doesn't make it any less disappointing. But I think the team that I'm looking at that is most concerning is the Cardinals. You guys remember when we were talking about them as a Super Bowl contender? I never was. I never was either. Never was. It was just you. guys you. remember when I was talking yeah. about them okay, as a Super I do. Bowl now contender? I remember all of that. We got off of that Bills game <laughs> where it was like, whoa, look at this Cardinals team. Kyler Murray MVP campaign. The first round, uh, the, the wide receiver that they've got with De- DeAndre Hopkins traded a broken down running. Look at this team. And then they go to New England. And lose to that Patriots team when Cam Newton threw for 85 yards, zero touchdowns, and two they were picks. Good 85 yards, though. You cannot <laughs> lose that game. I'm still trying to figure out how they lost that game. The Patriots finished with fewer than 200 yards of total offense, guys. Kyler Murray's a loser. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I'm not saying that. The Cardinals are very much not a Super Bowl contender, and I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. Playoffs. Guys, look at what they're going up against right now. I mean, you look at the schedule. They've got the Rams this week. They still have to take on the 49ers again, who have given them some troubles, and then they finish out at the Rams. I don't know. I I don't know if this team's for sure guaranteed to make the postseason. You've got the Vikings kind of nipping at their heels right now. The 49ers are going to have an opportunity, and don't look now, but the Bears are right there as well. Well, let's not get carried away. I think it'll be the Vikings or the 49ers, one of those two, if the Cardinals fall out. But, man, this team is very much at risk of not only not being a Super Bowl contender, but not being a playoff contender if they don't turn things around quickly. 
I've questioned Kyler Murray four years down the road. You've heard me say that. that Four years from now, I just don't know. If he doesn't evolve as more of a well-rounded passer and identifying uh, coverages and things like that, where he can't just play schoolyard, he's going to have trouble. I'm worried about him now, and not from a physical standpoint. This guy's an absolute beast as an athlete. Watch his body language. Mm -hmm. Watch him in the huddle. Watch him on the sidelines. Watch him when things don't go right. He's got this permanent resting you-know-what face. (laughs) And he just looks, to me, like a miserable person to be around. He doesn't seem happy. He doesn't seem like he communicates well with his teammates. He's kind of standoffish. I've seen where teammates have approached him on the sideline, and he, like, walks away as if he's just angry. There comes a time at a point where you have to be liked, too. For guys to play hard around you and to succeed, your teammates have to like you. Not all the time, but overall, they have to kind of like you, especially when you're a quarterback. It helps. <laughs> I'm worried about this guy. I'm worried that he's not mature between the ears enough yet to realize what he has to bring I've to the table. I wondered that, too. I mean, especially in games where they're down and trying to come back, he does not look like he has command of his team. And as oh. a quarterback, you have to be the guy, and he just doesn't look like it right now. He Still looks like, like he's bit into a lemon. <laughs> Well, I still like <laughs> Kyler. I still like the Cardinals. I've got some questions about Cliff and his game management. And I, I do think it is question to, or fair to question some things about Kyler, especially right now with the injury. I, he didn't look right on Sunday. I think that shoulder injury is a little worse than they're leading on. And that's playing into some of these issues as well. Next question up as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Matt Stafford seems like he's probably the most realistic veteran solid quarterback to be truly available on the trade market this offseason now that the Lions have fired their coach and their general manager. Guys, if you could put Matt Stafford this offseason onto any team, any team of your choosing that needs a quarterback, where would you most like to see Matt Stafford end up? New England Patriots, baby. Mm. I would love to see him there. Uh, Long time ago, Stalter and I talked about this before this season even started about you know, maybe before they sign Cam Newton and all that, maybe Bill Belichick trying to reach out to Matt Patricia and say, hey, I'd like to trade for Matthew Stafford. I just think that it's a great opportunity for the Patriots to grow this team. I know Stafford's a veteran guy. I get it. And if they can't if they can't lose enough, which they're not, yeah. if they can't lose enough to get a top prospect draft pick from college football as a quarterback or a future franchise guy, I think this is the best route. I don't think Cam Newton is the answer. I think Cam Newton at the end of this season will have played his last game as a New England Patriot and maybe his last game in the NFL for that matter. But I think that Stafford adds something immediately to the Patriots that can help them. See, I'm going to go the Colts here. Yes, that's I, my team too. Now, I don't know if he's that's got... where Carson Wentz is going. No, unfortunately not. If he's he was available, that'd be an awesome spot. I love that idea. Colts, they may not have the weapons that uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones have been for Matt Stafford, but I'll tell you what, they got an offensive line in Indy for him, and that's the biggest thing for Stafford. He can't stay on his feet because his offensive line... Are, are horrible at blocking for him. So I'd put him at the Colts. I think he could have success there and continue success for three to five years and make them contenders. Somebody on Twitter earlier today, Sam Munson, a pro football focus, put out every Lions coach has been going into the season expecting to get this mythical great season out of Stafford to chase the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Is it ever actually achievable, though, or do we just hype Matt Stafford because he was a former number one overall pick? Went through some of the numbers. I was going to say, doesn't he have good numbers? He does. Um, but over the last five years, it has been a little bit of fool's gold. And some of that is because of the system that he plays in in Detroit. He's basically been Derek Carr. 
over the last five years, which is fine. Solid quarterback. I think some of that, again, kind of like with Derek Carr in, in Oak, or Oakland, now Las Vegas. He didn't have the greatest system around him, didn't have the greatest receivers to target. If you put Matt Stafford in Indy and added a playmaker for him, I really think that could be a pretty good situation. Great offensive line there. You pair him with a really solid defense. Not great, but solid defense that he's never had in uh, Detroit. And you also give him a running game for the first time in his career. Mm -hmm. When was the last time the Lions had a good running game? Adrian Peterson. (laughs) Reggie Bush. (laughs) Reggie Bush. (laughs) Reggie Bush had one good season there. I think that's the last time they had a thousand yard rusher, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I would really like to see him in Indy. I think that's a pretty good spot for Ario. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. How did we get here? How? I don't understand how we got to the point where winning a World Series, that being your expectation, is viewed as a bad thing in Major League Baseball. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Well, they thought it was an unrealistic goal. No, it's not. It is completely within the realm of possibility and should be. That should be your goal. And if you're afraid of that, I don't know what the heck you're doing in the front office anyway. But I'm telling you that it has been expressed by by some current executives who were in the, potentially huh. in the mix for that job. So what Jim Duquette of MLB Network Radio is talking about there is – this report that was out there that apparently there are executives around baseball that are hesitant to take the job in New York with the Mets because of what Steve Cohen said. If you missed the quote a couple of weeks ago, Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, came out and said his goal is to win a World Series in the next three to five years. And if they haven't done that, then he will consider it to be a disappointment. Once again, I'm going to say this one more time. The thing, the report, the statement that is holding some executives back from accepting this job is the fact that the owner believes that the team should win a World Series in the next three to five years. They don't deserve the job then. Bottom line. I tell you what, my phone's on right now. Steve Cohen, you call me and offer me the job. I don't know anything like these guys do. I'll take the job. And I know your expectations are to win a World Series. That's a dream come true. It's a dream come true. These are guys, I'm telling you right now, these are guys that love to be a general manager or president of baseball operations in teams that hover. They're kind of good, kind of bad. Expectations aren't too high. I can hide here for 10 to 15 years as a GM because we're doing great, but we're not doing too great, but we're good enough to make some money. Yay. Go squat somewhere in the corner. I don't need that guy on my team. chase yourself. Go chase yourself, young man. I want the pressure. If I'm a GM or or a president of baseball operations, absolutely give me the keys to the car. I'm going to drive this thing, and I know you want to win this race. We're going to do our best to it. If I fall flat, so be it, but give me the job. I wonder if some of this is because they look at the Mets team and they say, maybe we can't win in that time frame because the roster. Are you looking at the Mets team now or the team that they're going to have next year? Are you looking at his wallet? I'd be I'm like, okay, I'll wallet. take the job, but you got to give me a blank checkbook here. But their farm system's terrible. Sure. 
And maybe that's where it, I mean, look, I, ta- I told you yesterday, Rivs, maybe this changes the philosophy of other general managers and presidents of baseball operations in the league of, oh, we value prospects and we need to make sure we grow from within. Maybe this changes teams' expectations of we got to start spending some money to improve our roster. Don't think that's going to happen. I don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. Hold your breath on that one. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Nobody wants to take this position because everyone's mindset is, uh, well, we grow from within. You grow the prospects. And that farm system is trash. Okay, but. But then, so listen, you don't have to take all the money and buy players. You can buy some, right? Take some of that money and get some of the best guys in the business. Go get yourself a great pitching coach. Go get yourself a great batting coach. Get yourself an incredible scouting staff. And then at the same time as you're currently trying to win the World Series, you're looking at three to five to six to seven years down the road. And you're like, you know what? As we're being you know one of the big players in the game right now we're going to come up with a wave of prospects too and we're going to look like the dodgers basically you, you know what else that money allows you to do it allows you to go out into the international market and sign guys like luis robert like the, that that's the thing jamie i'm with you 100 percent on this if i'm another executive the thing that would concern me is if the reds owner came out and said we in the next three to five years expect to win a world series Okay, but how are you making that happen? What is the actionable plan? What are the resources that you're giving me to allow me to achieve those goals? If the answer is we're going to do the same things that we've always done, well, then this is ridiculous. Why in the world would I accept that job? Because there's no way that's realistic for us. We, we don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the players. And there's no way for us to get them in that timetable. The Mets job is different. Because the owner has publicly stated, and now they're basically, it's all but confirmed, they're going to get two of the top four pro, uh, top four free agents. That's only this year. That's, that's this, this year. year. And then next year, you've got the best free agent shortstop class, class maybe ever, and they are reportedly interested in adding at least one of those guys as well. If that is what you're working with, and your owner has come out publicly and said he's going to give you whatever money you need to be able to make this happen, well, that changes the calculus completely. And now your owner is supporting you for the goal that he is telling you he would like you to achieve. So the idea that some of these executives are not jumping at that job because the expectations are too high signifies to me that there is a fundamental problem in baseball right now. That too many of these executives are more worried about other things than what the actual goal is supposed to be, which is winning the damn World Series. That's what we play for. You play to win that piece of metal, as Rob Manfred likes to call it, at the end of the season. If we're not playing for that, then what are we doing here? What what is the, what is the goal every time that we go out to a season if that's not what you're trying to achieve down the road? Maybe it's Steve going through this out there to weed out those guys. Maybe he threw it out there, and maybe behind closed doors, maybe he's really setting the expectations high. And what that does, it weeds out the pretenders, in my opinion. And you know what? That, to me, as soon as a guy would balk at that, I'd be like, you know what? This is great. Hey, great meeting. We'll catch a beer there. I, that guy, scratch him off the list. He's done. I want the guy who's foaming at the mouth that says, give me this job. I want to win a dang World Series here in New York and shove it in the Yankees' face when we do it. The best part about this, too, is if you're an executive, I mean, it's you're protected from career suicide. If you go somewhere and you don't achieve what the expectations are, you might be out of a job and you might not get a job again. But Steve Cohen is the person that has set the table for this. He's the one that says, hey, here's the money. Do what you need to do. Go get us a player. And if an executive doesn't come through, 
eyes are shifted back to Steve Cohen for not being able to pull it off, I think, before you're looking at that executive. And he's also made it very clear that the model that he would like to follow is the Dodgers. And the Dodgers model is, A, spend money to be able to get the good players that you want, right? But also develop from within. So to your point, Ferrario, are people going to go away from that? I don't even think the Mets are going to go away from that. They're building for the here and now and for the future. So they're Mm going to invest in their development systems. They're going to invest more money that way. And they're also going to invest in the current players while going overseas and finding some players in Cuba and the Dominican and Latin America so that way they can bring those guys over when they're 18 years old. They're going to build up their academies in those countries so that way you can start developing players down there. The, this is how you build a sustainable winner. The Dodgers have shown us the blueprint for a team like the Mets that has that kind of institutional money to be able to consistently contend. If you're a general manager or an executive that's interviewing for a job like this and this is not something you're interested in, you need to take a hard look in the mirror and wonder why you're in this business if that's the way that you're going to approach it. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kyle. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with former Cardinals superstar relief pitcher Brad Thompson. I I was absolutely (laughs) ready to call him out if he didn't give me a nice intro like he gave you. I know you guys are like teammates and all, and you you work together, but there's a small fee. Yeah, there's also money that goes into that. Thank you. I'm here for you, man. How you doing today, bud? Doing great, man. Doing great. It's good to see everybody. It's good to see you too. I feel like it's a it's a full house again. I've missed this. I've yeah, missed like you guys. Yeah, like a socially distanced full house is kind of <laughs> what it is. Yeah. I probably should have added yeah. that as a disclaimer. Yeah, not like a packed house. Not like a can of sardines in here or anything like that. But, no. uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's good to see everybody. Happy to uh, uh, be yapping about sports with you boys again. What have you been talking about all day? Honestly, well, not, not a whole lot. <laughs> okay. Um, let, let's let's ask you. I don't know if you – are you guys talking uh, about uh, – Sorry, Alex hates the Raiders. I do. Did you bet on him? No. Okay, I just don't like John why Gruden. I, why? I don't know. He just, what about John he's Gruden? got that look. That of just, course he's got a look. Yeah, and it's a bad one. It's <laughs> kind no. of his thing. It's like he just has a Super Bowl off. ring. That's the look. It yeah, just but his look off. is like intense. Like he's the guy that at he's a barbecue, chucky. you know he's going to come chat you up, but you know after a couple of beers he's going to have some great stories too. Like you keep away from also, him. Jamie Rivers. He's probably the guy too. Yeah, not far well, off. You know what? This might fit too. He's probably the guy that you don't tell your wife you're going to hang out with, but you definitely want to go hang out with him. Just in case. I wonder I like Gruden. Oh, old Chucky's got something going. You know, I kind of dig him a little bit. I don't know, buddy. I don't know. All right. So it's just his face. That's yeah, the it's only just thing. his face. It's just his face. All I, have, I don't hear him talk much, so. Everybody's got their thing. So we were talking about this earlier today. Are you guys going to talk at all about the Albert Pujols piece? The, the what if he stayed in St. Louis? You guys talking about that today? I don't today? think so. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, oh, shit. Well, yeah, I decided I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants now. So, <laughs> really, <laughs> quickly, um, do you think Pools, if he had stayed, if he if he signed that same contract that he did out in L.A. here in St. Louis, do you think he would have gone down as the greatest Cardinal ever? 
No, I don't. He's he's going to be there. In some people's eyes, he still would, right? Anybody that had only seen him, and hell, Albert's the only, I, I never got to see Stan sure. Musial play. Uh, but I don't think he wouldn't have. I don't think he, he wouldn't have surpassed a bunch of the records still that Stan had. And honestly, while I would have loved to see, like I'd love to see these milestone hits and home runs with people that give a damn about it. Because in Anaheim, it's a Sucks. footnote. It's just like, I did it, and people are looking at the board. Like, oh, we should clap for this. We didn't see any of the good moments, like the really good ones. But, well, uh, look, he did it. The the place would blow the – well, there's not a roof. But they would blow it up. Like, they would go nuts in, in St. Louis. And this would be something we talk about all the time. And we'd have one quote from Albert about doing it here in front of the Sea of Red. And we'd play it forever. I wish we had those moments. But I think that we'd have more moments, guys, honestly, as, uh, as fickle as fans can be at oh, times. Yeah. Of Albert maybe getting booed in this same no. stadium, doing what? things. No. I could see it. I'm telling you, I could see it. He's not going to get booed. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. With the way this okay, team plays. This is going to sound. Uh, I'm not trying to comp the two, okay? But kind of. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Things have changed drastically for Matt Carpenter recently, and Matt Carpenter had carried your team offensively for he a few was years. No pools. He's still going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer, though. It's all, he's no pools. No, no, no pools. question. Okay. He's I'm also just saying, been it's better nice offensively than Pools the last few years. How, how crazy! Can be quiet. I'm serious. You think he's, he's going to be better. a Cardinals Hall of Famer? Oh yeah, I think it's going to yeah? happen. What? Yeah. Carpenter? Yeah. He's got yeah. records. He probably will. Yeah. He had. I am blown it's away it's right about the span, right? Now, here's the thing that might hold Carpenter back: it's recency bias. This is fan voted on, right? So it might take a minute. It might take a couple years of years from now. Uh, for him to get in, but I, I still think he'll be there. But no, I, I could see it because we want results, right? We just want to see it. And the it that people might see with Albert, if he were in the uniform now, would be it's making $30 million a year, and it's doing nothing to help our offense that is struggling mightily. So I, I wouldn't want to see that part of it, but the milestones. And right now, look, uh, heading into 2021 with, with not knowing what we're going to see at all, I think that that would actually be something that's like, ah, oh, we got Albert. Number five. Look, he's, uh, he's creeping on some home runs, trying to catch up to Mays. You guys want to see that? Like, at least you'd have that. I bring up the fact that he would be worse than some of the guys that Cardinals fans don't like. I mean that when I say it. Over the last four years, he has an 87 OPS plus. Are you not done yet with this? I'm not good at math, but that's uh, 13 percent under the average. average. Okay. For a little bit of a, a quick comparison, Harrison Bader is oh, at 95. Hot damn, I told you. BK. I've been hot on Harry. First day back. <laughs> Watch the text line now. First day back. Colton Wong's at a 103. Marcelo Zuna was at a 108. Just a comparison. Again, Albert Pools at 87 over the last four years. Been a problem. Okay. Been a little bit of a problem. Uh, PT, I don't know if I should ask you this at this point, but what's coming up today? Well, we're going to talk about Albert Pools and what if he'd stay, but we'll shift gears. We're going to talk about the Eagles, the blanking Eagles that did something so head-scratching, I'm still oh. pissed off today. Yeah, they covered. Yeah. <laughs> that's coming no. up from 2 yeah, to 6. It. If you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been an absolute pleasure to be back with you guys. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mmm. You've been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast, powered by I Promise.